I'm going to read your thoughts. Let's see now. You come here from a great distance? Yeah, exactly. Don't tell me. Uh, you want me to buy a subscription to the Saturday Evening Post? No. Not a word. Not a word. Not a word now. Quiet. Uh, donations. You want me to make a donation to the Coast Guard Youth Auxiliary? Doc. I'm from the future. I came here in a time machine that you invented. Now I need your help to get back to the year 1985. Do you expect me to talk? Welcome to episode 97 of Do You Expect Us To Talk? I'm your host, Becca, and I'm joined, as always, by fellow co-hosts Chris Byrne and Dave Bond, and together, we are your density. Oh, I mean, your destiny. Anyway, how are you? That's heavy. Good evening, folks. Why is everything in this era heavy? Um, It's something to do with the Earth's gravitational pull. You know, the funny thing is, though, like, for years, I never, that joke just went over my head. I didn't even know it existed in the film until I saw I it. I suspect. Like... I suspect the population of the world was lower, therefore um, not weighing the Earth down as much. Therefore, it was spinning faster. Therefore, gravity was higher. Therefore, everyone was heavier. Yeah, that's that's fun, folks. <laughs> Science with Dave. Yeah, science might be <laughs> overstating it somewhat. That's our new segment for the show. Dave does science. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that before I started talking, so don't get too excited. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly, suddenly, like randomly, find out you're a mass genius. You're like, Jesus Christ! Do you know what? If, if I get some email now from some fucking PhD guy, actually, I know you were you joking, but that's Jesus? actually bang on. it's like when you suddenly uh, uh, discover a gift where you just like know everything all you need to do is just like sort of just start talking and and start as if you you know what you're talking about you just imagine it becomes like the right answer whatever it is (laughs) yeah so anyway anyway folks as if you haven't gathered so far we enter a new chapter in this podcast series as we review the Back to the Future series great Scott Great Scott, already. I'm very excited. It's this doesn't sound really weird. It is one of my favourite films, but it's not my favourite film of all time. But it is probably probably one of what, what is your favourite the greatest film films ever okay. made. Just out of um, I have two from a list of two, so I've got Let like you a, dance in and what we move on. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> I've got like socially acceptable list. And and the other um, one's just porn. The other one's just cringe. <laughs> um, but no, I think you know it's one of those movies. She doesn't, that... she doesn't want to answer it, does she? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Batman's anal adventure, isn't it? Leprechaun in the hood, surely. <laughs> Go on, what is it? 
Um, Jurassic Park. Don't laugh. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Like you must love me then, because I'm a major Jurassic Park detractor. Mm, yeah, we'll come to it when we come to a review. If we come to a review, yeah. No, well, I, why I, are you I, finding I, Jurassic I, Park I, embarrassing? I don't think it's embarrassing. It was a huge hit. No, it's and massively it's successful. Still, it's, I just think because it was that really time. Light light. No, it's all came to me sort of. A, you know, I just sort of discovered it. I mean, but, I might think it's lesser to those films, but how how is it any different from having like Raiders or ET as your favourite? Spielberg, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's lesser than those, but that's just me. No, I think I enjoy it more for uh, for personal reasons um, and for becoming interested you used to, in that. You used to date a Diplodocus, didn't you? Actually, he was a raptor, but you know. Yeah. You thought it was. She thought it was a rapper on the dating profile. <laughs> Turned out to be a misprint. <laughs> He's a rapper. Oh. <laughs> I just thought uh, That's he had such short arms for. he couldn't Ooh. feed himself. <laughs> so, so they bonded over here comes the aeroplane. <laughs> Rather than Dippy. Yeah. Think of him like Why did out. they call him Hey, why did they call him Dippy? Don't know, why did they call him Dippy? I thought maybe there was some sort of behavioural quirk he had. Oh, no, I thought that was a joke. I thought you were setting up some kind of... Well, I was setting up some filth. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, carry on. Yeah, so, so what, what you think was Jurassic Park? What's the other one or what's the cringy one? No, I think that was the cringy one. Wasn't yeah, that was the cringy one. Why is that, so cr- is the, why is that cringy? Which is, which, which is the respected one then? No, it's Hitchcock Psycho. I, just, I think it's really cool. I do like it a lot. It's at least my seventh favourite Hitchcock film. <laughs> <laughs> Then closely followed by Honor Majesty's Secret Service, so it's all right. Psycho's great. I just, there are a good handful of Hitchcock films I like more than. Well, I figure that Vertigo gets too much press, even though I do love it and it's a work of genius. Yeah, so but I Psycho figure... was the famous one for years. That That's relatively new for people wanking off over Vertigo. That's it for I sure. Love... And I'm pretty sure that you can't go to the cinema now. Without one. Way... Yeah, exactly. Without doing that. <laughs> Although the one that the one that the sort of the lesser one that never gets talked about that I really really love is rope. Mm, no, I love rope definitely. I think it's fantastic technologically, it's, um, technically even it's it's brilliant, um, and there's a lot to unpick there. So I'm really looking forward to getting to the Hitchcock series when we do get there. Plus, also okay. Jimmy Stewart and yes. Jimmy Stewart's in rope as well. Yeah, I think it's one of those because obviously it's adapted from a stage play, but I think it's one of those few adaptations that really lives up um, to. to being adapted for for the screen sometimes obviously it can be quite laborious um but hitchcock manages to make it really electric actually the, the, the film he does that that's very famous but actually i think is stagey is dial in for murder i don't think that stands up very well at all actually i've been kind to agree but i mean it's still fantastic um just well, really really great, all around but, but yeah. i think it's it lends a lot to kind of like the the lighting um, and also the editing as well so who's in Back to the Future, Becca? <laughs> we took a massive diversion there. As you know, the movie stars Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Lee Thompson, Chris Bingover, Thomas Afforson, and Billy Zane, if you can spot him in a cameo. With a script by Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis, a score by Alan Silvestri, and directed by Robert Zemeckis, and released in 1985. Oh my god. So does it count as a cameo when you're not famous? Well, it's kind of one of those things like before. Or is it just fame, a small it, really. role? <laughs> a small role before he a was small, A small role with no dialogue. No, it's like, oh, that's B- Billy Zane. Zane is one of, um, is one of Biff's goons in the 50s. But he looks very dapper. He looks like Billy Zane. Well, he does, but he looks like he belongs in the 50s. Yeah, this is like Billy Zane with hair. Yeah, before he went bolder. So. Yeah. So a couple of years pre-Dead Calm, which I think was the first thing that 
that was a brilliant really, film as well. Really brought into people's. Yeah, that, uh, that actually dead calm was about eighty nine, but yeah. So, anyway, so what, uh, yeah, how did you guys come to this film? What are your first experiences of it, Dave? Uh, my first experience, uh, I, I kind of almost missed it at the time. I, I, I saw Teen Wolf first, and I think maybe two to three years after the film was released, I still hadn't seen it. Don't even remember my first viewing, particularly. I don't remember ever not loving this film in this series after seeing it. But having said that, I don't remember my first viewing, which you, you think I might if it was that impressive. I certainly remember by the time the sequels came out, I was really excited for them. So I clearly knew the films very well by that point. But yeah, through like 85, 86 and possibly even 87, I, I knew Teen Wolf better. That was like the mid-80s um, uh, Michael J. Fox film, which is a film he's deeply embarrassed by now. So yeah, <clears throat> I know it through its sequels much, much better in in that I've seen this film many more times than the sequels, but I probably... Um, I remember the hype around those a lot more. It's always been possibly, yeah, since the early 90s, this would have been amongst my favourite films. I remember being a lot more taken with the sequel to start with. That's certainly not the case anymore, and I'll kind of explain why next week when we come to cover it. But yeah, it's not a particularly storied history. It, it wasn't something that blew me away originally. It's not something that I've known since 1985 itself, but it's been in my top well, my top two favourite films uh, for almost as long as I can remember now. Chris, how about yourself? Uh, well, for myself, yeah, yeah. Similar with Dave, things with Back to the Future, it's, it's one of those films that's always been there as a, ch- we, it were, as a childhood, really. Uh, I mean, I would have been free initial release, so by as far back as I remember, it's always been kind of one of those films that's like, that's been on TV or, you know, you, you, you know, you, you've, it's always known when you're like, Around circles or at school, really, everyone kind of knew Back to the Future, so it's always kind of like a firm favourite. So you always have like sort of warm memories of it, like watching it like around Christmas time or all around Easter or when or whenever. Um, it was always very enjoyable film, but I never really had like a really deep appreciation for it. It was just one of those like good eighties films, really. Um, but it was it, it was only really uh, when it had got it re-released I can't remember is it getting near now it, I I think because we've talked about this yes. before I think you went to see it on its 25th anniversary yes um, which wasn't the, I mean I don't know whether we got it later was that five years ago or was that it would have been 2010 yeah that sounds about right so yeah. Yeah, um, it that. came out around October now I'm, I'm going to look it up right now because I don't know if we, maybe we got it later in the year or maybe it was just where there was a gap in programming that was a good place to put the film. Because I remember it being October, partly because my birthday's in October. And whilst I didn't see it on my birthday, I, I just naturally might remember things from that month a little bit better, perhaps. So I went to see it um, on the big screen. The only time I've ever seen it on the big screen, I think, was October 2010. And you fall in love with it all over again. And that was a new master of the film ready for the blu-ray release yeah i mean i, I mean i remember seeing it like like last show in like 11 o'clock like dead late in the, on a saturday evening and i just sort of what well, well, ironically running late just as like you know the opening scene for the clocks and yeah it it, it was never a firm favorite but i, 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 I want to say this was the moment where i really discovered the film 
in itself. I mean, after years of always watching it and always liking it, uh, seeing it on the big screen uh, was it, it was a, it was a magical reason. It was it was a magical experience for two reasons. One, it kind of it, it became one of my favorite films because I it just felt like a fresh watching it fresh. Like every joke landed like as if it was brand new. Uh, I even got like the heavy stuff. I was like, oh shit, there's there's this shit in here I've not even seen before. There was just low. It just everything about the film was just great. It just worked. It was one of the best cinematic experience ever. And it just also reaffirmed my feelings on cinema. Like I thought, this is how great cinema can be. I mean, when you watch a, a film projected on a big screen uh, with a great sound system. Uh, hopefully with no interruptions. I know it sounds stupid, but I much prefer like a reasonably empty screen. But <laughs> that's me. Um, it's just great. It's just you just feel like engrossed in it more than you would do at home. And it was I came. Well, I walked out out there sort of just buzzing um, and just sort of almost like a newfound love for. I mean, I've always liked cinema, but you know, I, you know, I used to. I probably, if you ask me, I probably prefer film rather than it's cinema. But I've this, but from watching that, I really got the experience aspect of it, and it just sort of felt, yeah, no. So um, I got quite emotional at that screening. I can't remember if it was one screening or a limited release. I think it was one screening, and I got quite emotional. And again, I didn't sit there sobbing or anything, but it actually kind of, I got a bit choked up. There was something about it was like, it was like getting back something you you've loved and lost almost and i don't know why because i had a copy of it sat at home albeit on dvd i think the other thing was the restoration and the big screen and the sort of the higher resolution pulled out details i'd never seen before i mean i had no idea until that screening that christopher lloyd was wearing uh, aging makeup i always thought that was a joke in the second film that he pulled off that sort of cover on his face and looked exactly the same but yeah. there's a plot. There's a plot reason to do it because he's wearing. You see it with Strickland when Strickland's yeah. in the hallway talking to Marty. It looks exactly they, the same. They've painted yeah. something on his neck to sort of tighten the skin, almost like a glue. And of course, it's just to make him look a little bit older. They've done it to Doc, and they needed to get it off him in the sequels, even though he looks ostensibly the same. So yeah, there's a lot of detail in the Blu-ray that shows up that that wasn't there on home releases originally. And they're very saturated colours anyway, the, these films. They're, they're very colourful. Two and three more so. Um, but, yeah, you can totally see it. I, yeah, I, I remember that screening myself. And um, it was a special screening to me too. I, I'd already fallen in love with it. I think some of it is my love for It's a Wonderful Life because I actually think of this as the modern It's a Wonderful Life anyway. Mm. Um it is, and I think people, you can look at a few effects in it and all the rest of it, but it's the one, I mean, firstly, the filmmakers have referenced Capra, and we'll come to that a bit later, and secondly, what is, I know it's the second film, but what is alternate 1985, if not Pottersville? So, yeah, I, I think my love of one film leads me to a love of, of the other one, because they, they, they touch the same parts of me, uh, with my consent. Yeah, so it, it's always been a special film to me. Becca? Yeah, it's just one of those films that sort of, obviously, being a fan of Jurassic Park and sort of Spielberg in general, along with sort of Indiana Jones and, and the like, um, although I've never seen Jaws all the way through. <gasps> um, on hide from the internet. you seen? Jaws all the way through. Ooh. No, but which bit have you yeah. seen? Oh, which bit? Have, up until... Do you watch the start and then not get through it, or have you never seen the start? 
I've just never made it all the way through. I'll go up to like the the beach scene um, where he's looking over the beach, and you've got that you've got the famous um, like zoom in pull out effect. And for some reason, I've never got I've never got past that. I don't know why. You got put off the moment you see Roshard. Yeah, Roshard. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. I've just always been interrupted at that point. Um, but no, definitely, it's one of those films that has kind of always kind of cropped up, cropped up, and everything. And it's it's probably one of the first films that I, that I saw. You know, starting um, my love of cinema. Um, very latent love of cinema. Um, sort of, you know, watch it whenever I can. Always get like the different versions that come out. Um, I remember going to see it at Open Air Cinema a few years ago um, with my dad, and that was great fun. Um, so people there were kind of dressed up as sort of like fifties gear and eighties gear, a um, lot of cosplay, which is pretty interesting. And it was one of those things. That I think, it, as I was saying earlier, it's kind of it may not be my favourite film of all time, but as for me, it is the greatest film of all time you've got everything in it. it's like comedy action um drama um obviously a sci-fi obviously a time travel element so that's quite interesting um and there's a lot of you know times where the stakes are quite high they've got really great performances michael j fox is, is fantastic um evergreen um crispin glover always interesting there's you know in front of the screen in front of the camera as he is behind it um endlessly watches films i just think he's a creative genius really admire his work uh christopher lloyd iconic delorean is iconic um obviously shot on the famous um town square stage at universal um i just universal studios is one of my favorite places to go in the world i love it um if i live nearer and have more money i'll go there every day um mainly for the jurassic park riders that's immense but um just because you know they take you you can you know so you can do the vip experience and they show you how it was made and you can visit all the sets and it's just so cool i love it um but yeah no i just i do like this film a whole lot um but i think i probably should be a more i don't know bigger fan than i am but it's just one of those films i keep on going back to um i think as i read somewhere that usc have it as as when they always put it on their screenwriting course it's like the perfect script or one of the most perfect scripts um, this film just has it all. I mean, really. I've never studied screenwriting, but I've seen enough films to, to know. And it's not—it's mm. not so much that the film's good, because there are plenty of good films out there. Oh, sure, definitely. Um, it's the fact that every scene is—it's uh, all set up and payoff. Oh, of course, um, completely. And also, every scene, with one exception, advances plot or character. And the mm. one scene that doesn't advance plot or character is a welcome buffer between two emotional sort of crescendos anyway the johnny be good scene is the one scene that doesn't actually advance anything no new. i was gonna say the johnny be good um, you've got all the callbacks there sort of like a historical moment it's a break between uh, biff getting knocked out and, then, and him having to uh hit the lightning beam yes so um it's actually i think it's virtually perfect definitely yeah and it's, it's really it's really influential as well obviously like family guy and simpsons obviously um rick and morty uh, most famously, most recently. Um, Which I've not seen. Oh, you got to see it. No, it's, it's really good. I mean, that in itself, obviously, is now is a very crude, um, but in, in, in the best way, um, riff of Docomati, definitely. Um, but I think in itself started life in a very generous idea. It was like a parody of Back to the Future. Um, but no, it's, it's really funny. It's on I don't even know the premise, so I'll have to look into it. But it's, it's um, a similar sort of thing, basically, because, oh, you know, well, it's basically like this teenage boy um, and Rick is like scientist grandfather and obviously he's the most cleverest man in the world and but it's, and he's very very crude and very sweary and it's very funny I urge you to check oh, it I'm out oh I'm not sure about bad language <laughs> really Dave? 
this film is like hugely influential on a whole across a whole range of genres. It's the one film as well. Well, no, there are several films to be fair, but it's always one of the first films mentioned out of um, people's mouths, along with It's a Wonderful Life, funnily enough, mm. as though Sacrosanct do not remake this. Now, mm, I, don't want re- I don't want a remake of this, but at the same time, this film still exists if they do some piss-poor remake, just just by the fact that, like, Robocop is not a worse film because they released a shit one three years ago. Yeah. How so, are they remake Money. In Robocop's case, I mean that was one of MGM's few intellectual properties. So you can understand them wanting to kickstart some kind of franchise. This film's a difficult one to remake without taking very loosely the premise because it falls in a very specific period. Mm. In that, if you want to go. I mean, the 50s and the 80s are further apart now. Now, again, I mean, when when you had something like, um, what was it called? Hot Tub Time Machine. There were lots of jokes about, you know, not being able to find your place, your your way anywhere, and, you know, not being able to reach people because you didn't have email and all the rest Mm. of it, and, you know, messaging. But the fact is, a a 90s child or an 80s, well, not an 80s child, an adult or 90s would be much more similar to us morally as people than they would have been from people in the 50s because the Mm. sexual revolution happened between the two and society liberalised quite a lot. Now, every generation has huge gaps, but I think the 50s to the 80s is something, even aesthetically, I'm not quite sure you can do again in the same way. No, just like they're both really quite iconic eras in time, aren't they, as well? I mean, I don't think if you were to remake Back to the Future, heaven for offend... Um, you know, even if it was a, I don't know, a critical box office smash, I don't know, you wouldn't have the same sort of thing just because, like, if it, you know, such a lot happened in, in the 50s and the 60s and 1980s as well in terms of, like, the fashion, the politics, the music, the culture. Well, you'd be, go- if it came out this year and it was literally the same, you'd be going back to 1987. Well, no, that's true. Um, and that's but a still- very different era than now. I mean, you would have different fashions and you would have different... I mean, you probably have kind of almost like an atomic blonde kind of aesthetic, I'd imagine. Probably that's true. We uh, have Jaws 13 or whatever it is. I'm not <laughs> suggesting it couldn't be done, but I'm suggesting that um, no, although, there's, although there's always a generational gap, the generational gap between people who reached sort of um, the age of majority, if you like, in the 50s and people who did it in the 80s would be much greater their life experience might be more similar we were talking about this briefly on smorgasbord the other the other day in that if you went to university in the 50s or say the 80s i can imagine they'd be much more similar experiences because i mean even the way you work would be similar whereas now everything's done sort of electronically everything's submitted online the way you go about uh, referencing uh, uh, other authors in your work i don't even know how it works now because i was pre all of that with it being online mm. but morally i would think i am i would me at 19 and a kid at 19 now would not be wildly different there would be differences but they wouldn't be as great as the sort of differences we see in this film I don't know if you agree with that. Especially with, like, because um, we, go, we go through particularly 80s resurgence as well in terms of fashion, so the fashion itself wouldn't look that amiss these days, no. It, it's, it wouldn't... 
you know, it's quite a lot of like kind of big bright clothing now. So even even like as once Marty goes back, you know, it's like everyone sort of think, thinking he's like a a sailor or something. You know, well, why not? What are you doing wearing a life preserver? It's like where's a gilet? <laughs> you know, it's it was a lot more formal as an era as well, wasn't yeah. it? the 50s um and they've deliberately gone and i've heard them talk about this on the extras that they, they deliberately went even their um commercial tie-ins they went for brands where the logos changed like texaco you see texaco in i think all three films but you certainly see it in 2015 in the second film um they went for things where you could go look how different that looks whereas some things didn't change so, you know, they could have got more money for, I'm not even sure this was the example, but for argument's sake, they could have had more money from Shell. But mm. Shell looked very similar in the 50s to how it looked in the 80s. So some of it is very wise filmmaking as well. Um, and also because it takes place in the same physical spent space, they filmed all the 50s stuff first and then grimed it down to do the 90s. So when you go back to the fifties, it all looks a bit more sort of sparkling and new. Okay, that's that's probably a good idea. Interesting. Yeah, they filmed like, for example, the Universal Backlot, so the square, the town square. Um, they filmed all the fifties stuff there. They did most of the shops' facades were literally just that facades. So they could take them down and put another one up. But you you see it on some of the special features that they're using like dirty, muddy water and stuff just to put a bit of wear into like window frames and things like that. They're not making it trying to make it look like hell on earth. They're just trying to make it look older, grimier, etc. Whereas in the fifties, it's all new. Even the school. Yeah, I was going. I was just thinking of the school because he do references like you know, he references he, it. He says, yeah. "Wow, this place looks brand new." Yeah. Well, probably is Marty. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think it it took place in a very special time. It, it, they were traveling from a very distinctive era to another very, very distinctive era, and an era that had already started to sort of create a mythos and nostalgia around it. Mm. So, I mean, even the car, the car he drives at the end to take, um, to take well, his mum, to the dance is really cool. I'm not saying I'd want to drive a car like that because it's probably a nightmare to drive, but they look distinctive and they look good. Whereas They're very iconic, obviously, aren't they? Obviously, 80s cars look shit. <laughs> you wouldn't really want to see, like, you really wouldn't want to go back, you know, drive a Nissan Micra or something <laughs> from the 80s. Like, one, of the, uh, one of the things I kept thinking about the DeLorean was, like, you know how the doors open up, but imagine trying to part that thing in some confined Gold space wings. and just sticking yeah. off shit. <laughs> well, get onto the DeLorean as we go, because I can see why they chose it, but it looks a lot cooler than it really is, apparently, in reality. I guess we ought to get a little into a little bit of the background around this film before we go into it. Uh, long time in gestation. I do believe the first draft of the script was 1981. Uh, Marty, in that version of the script, was the firstborn. They wanted it to be from the sort of mid-50s because they wanted him to invent rock and roll. Um, as they couldn't get it made, they kind of would make the age gap, the, the gap slightly longer, and then they gave him older siblings. I've read different versions where the script actually shifted, the 50s location shifted as well. But I've heard them say that it was always the 1950s and it went from like a 25 to 26 year gap to 30 years. And they gave him two older siblings. Um, what else? Uh, originally, it was going to be a couple of different things. Firstly, there was going to be a chimp in it, I think, instead of Einstein. Chimp. 
Uh, and it was Sid Sheinberg, the head of the studio, that said no, mo- no, no movies with chimps in had ever made any money. And they said, well, what about and every which way but loose and any which way you can? And he, and he replied, but that's an orangutan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, Sid Sheinberg. Yeah, he had some very strange things. Uh, the other thing was he wanted to call it Spaceman from Pluto. <laughs> and he passed that as a note. And, of course, he's the head of the studio. So the two Bobs, Gail and Zemeckis, are looking at it. And go, what earth do we do? So they, so they went to Steven Spielberg and said, look, we've got this note. We can't call it Spaceman from Pluto. What do we do? So Steven Spielberg said, leave it with me. And he wrote Sid Sheinberg a letter. And he just said, it said, uh, thanks for your terrific note. It was really funny. We all had such a good laugh at your tremendous joke. <laughs> right? And he never brought it up again because <laughs> he didn't want to admit that like he was serious. No. So, um, and the other factor was Marty McFly is played by Michael J. Fox here. He was the first choice, but wasn't the first casting. Uh, he was the first choice of both Bobs, actually, but I think it was particularly Gale that had spotted him. And he was, a, well, they approached the studio, and I don't know which studio that was, but Gary of Goldberg, was it? I forget the name. The guy who was running Family Ties. And he said, no, do not show him, even show him the script, because there's no way he can film around one of the biggest shows in America. It's like it's like Brosnan and uh, Remington Steele all over again. It's very, very <laughs> similar, actually. And it, what made it worse was Meredith Baxter was the female lead in the film, uh, in the TV show. And I think she was pregnant. So an awful lot more of the stories were revolving around the Alex P. Keaton character. So it was very much we have. We, we can't do this because his workload's too heavy. So they went ahead and reluctantly cast Eric Stoltz. And this is, this is always horrible when they, when they re- end up recasting somebody because it ends up looking like a knock on the original guy. I mean, but you know, better actors than Eric Stoltz have been replaced on stuff. I mean, I think I always think of Harvey Keitel with um, apocalypse now films filmed a couple of weeks in the Willard role. But yeah, you couldn't really sort of see the film with Harvey Keitel. It wouldn't be quite the same film, would it? Well, I, I remember Coppola saying he took full responsibility for it. And he said, the problem is Harvey Keitel is too active. He said, Willard is a very passive character. Mm. You know, you think it's often just on the boat, just watching the world. And Harvey Keitel's way too busy for that. I think we've got a similar problem with um, Samuel L. Jackson at playing a Jedi. I think he's. I think he's too active a character yeah. for, for a, a Jedi master. Uh, Eric Stoltz's problem is, uh, firstly, his pr- his process is very serious, and they said that he just wasn't getting the tone of the action, uh, sorry, the comedy that they were tr- that they were going for, and so the film wasn't funny. Um, and they filmed for so. Now, originally, it was always said he was replaced after a couple of weeks. I'm now led to believe he filmed for over five weeks. So the majority of the film um, had him in. And I'm pretty sure there are still shots in the film where people are reacting to Eric Stoltz. Uh, You know, there'll be shots where, like, Biff is replying to somebody or something, and they are... uh, I'm pretty sure there are shots with Doc talking direct to the camera uh, on the parking lot, and that's actually... He's talking to Eric Stoltz. You you only refilm what you need to refilm. Anything where he's looking directly at someone's eye line, they need to change because he's a lot shorter. It also meant a change to the um, Jennifer character, 
because Jennifer was originally cast as Melora Harding, who's probably best known for the American version of The Office. Uh-huh. I think she played Michael's boss in it. I've, I've seen early seasons of it, but not, not a lot beyond that. Oh, that's what I've seen but again, when they when they went to re- the original choice was um, Claudia Wells. Claudia Wells um, dropped out to do something else, and by the time it came up again, she was available. I think Melora Harding was too tall. Eric Stoltz is is close to six foot, I believe, and, and Michael J. Fox is five foot five. So um, it does affect who you cast to be with these people. Um, and I think all the other differences we'll talk about as we go through it. I think um, we can get into it as we go through it sequentially, which I think is a good idea to do that, folks. And why not? Yeah, go for it. I mean, I will add, I did hear that, that the original concept of the time machine was originally going to be a fridge. Yes, I heard. I, I don't know if it was literally a fridge or it was some kind of chamber and their fear was kids would lock themselves in the fridge. But the gist was it wasn't a mobile thing. And in fact, in the in, in early versions of the script, they had to go to like a nuclear sort of test facility and things like that. Yeah. And, and sort of, yeah, I, I have read alternate versions of the script, although I do get confused on what I've read because I've read the original version of Back to the Future 2. And I can't remember which is in which which one, but we'll go into that next week. I've read the 1967 version of Back to the Future 2. Um, oh, okay. okay. They have different, I, don't, I haven't heard about this. They had a different idea for the well, sequel. Well, with Back to the Future 2, um, everything from the future is the same. And it ends up with Doc in the Old West. Mm. Um, but when they go back to 1955... It was originally that Biff had given his younger self the sports almanac in 1967. So they had to go back there. Okay. So there's a version of the script where Lorraine's very sort of, uh, you know, peace and love, man. So, yeah. So I think originally they they, uh, they talk about it in, in the um, commentaries and various interviews and stuff that... They, they would basically, they wrote with an awful lot of sort of uh, index cards and they would have like things they wanted to happen and then it would lead them to need to do a corresponding card for earlier in the film. So, for example, they wanted Marty to invent rock and roll. So you've got to have an early scene that um, uh, suggests that he plays guitar, hence the first scene of the film. Later on, you've got him effectively inventing skateboards, so you need to see him on a skateboard early in the film, and so on. Mm-hmm. And this film is great for that. We start with um, Doc's, effectively, Doc's lab. And, effect- and again, we get a lot of information about Doc without seeing him. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I think this is a brilliant opening, and it's not one you generally think of, because it's just the sound of no music whatsoever, no, like big opening titles um, scenes or, or anything like that you just hear the tickings of the clock and you just see this big long sweeping shot giving you these little information you can tell like you know he's not been in his apartment for a while or has, or has been busy doing something you hear you hear about like uh, the, the uranium or the plutonium wasn't it? Yeah, sorry, plutonium, plutonium. Yeah. Uh, 
has be, gone missing, has one, been stolen. In a kind of passive way. There's, yeah, there's a lot of information that you, you can't, this is one of those in like openings to a film that you really have to pay attention to. You can't just sit back and have it gone in the background. It tells you a lot about stuff that's going to crop could. up again later on. You could, you, could, you, I could, suppose. you could, you'll miss it. You'd still enjoy the film, but you'd miss a lot. I mean, yeah, you would miss out you'll find out later that he's stolen plutonium with the help of some Libyans. So, I mean, if you missed it here, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But if you're watching it later as like an exercise in how they did it and how they've constructed exactly. it. Exactly. How wonderful is it? I, 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 yeah, I just think it's kind of like original how they just decided to go for quite a quiet opening. You know, you get the big Back to the Future t- um, titles, but with just silence and just ticking clocks. And it's just very calm, very controlled. Gives you information. I'm sure one of the clocks is is Harold Lloyd as well. I might have misremembered that, mm. but I think one of the clocks has that sort of Harold Lloyd from Safety Last motif on it, which of course, oh, maybe, yeah, might the be. end of the film parodies, or at least homages. Depends which way you want to look at it. But um, yeah, it's all set up and payoff. So we understand that uh, he uses a skateboard. He goes there to use the guitar or to use the big amp, basically. Uh, plutonium has gone missing doc hasn't been there for a while doc's got a dog there are tons of clocks there so there's something eccentric about this guy and it also outlines the uh, motif uh you get a mention of statler statler toyota you see statler all the way through this um series i think i think statler is like i think statler deals in horses back in the 1880s but yeah yeah there's a comment they're running through the series isn't it so so all of these things, just a little bit of set, set up, uh, disgusting bowl of dog food. Oh, no. <laughs> and also you get the impression I wouldn't feed uh, that to my dog. You also could tell he's an inventor. Yeah. Because Doc could mean anything, but he's invented all these contra- contraptions to get food open and things yeah, like that for the dog. You've got the arm, haven't you, to kind but, of open the... But to think about, like, the hot water going into, like, with no container, no, no coffee pot or anything. And it's just like, oh, right, well, he's not been there to put that in place, so... Um, and then you you see Mark Maffei's feet entering enter into shot, and then you see the uh, plutonium under the bed. So we've mentioned Wallace and Gromit before. Obviously, that's where I think Wallace, you know, being an inventor, takes a lot of. That's where Nick Park will take a lot of his in, takes a lot of his inspiration from. Well, lots of like stages to an invention, not just something that does something, but something that's got about four hundred different mechanisms and stages yeah. to it yeah. to boil an egg. <laughs> you see it in Back to the Future 3 with just a piece of ice. Yeah, literally. Um, so he's gone there to play his guitar. Now, they often say that um, one of the very few knocks on this film, and there aren't many, is that it was never explained why he'd be friends with an old man. Um, no, that's always a bit suspicious, isn't it? <laughs> well, only now if you're looking at it a certain way. I mean, we didn't. I, I, I didn't spend years thinking, I bet they're at it or something. <laughs> it never really occurred to me uh, but it's, it's one of those out, ki- the, one of those things you have in the 80s or like in kind of the kooky guy in the street who's good fun and all <coughs> you can use that, yeah that's what i would theorize and i think i think that may even have been said by the filmmakers that that would have what they would have bonded over music or something like that i think i think also that there was an element of that you know marty's kind of like an outsider he's not like a kid who gets like a hard time like his dad did at school but you know he's very he's very much like he's not like he's not seem like he's not like the pop. you don't kid. see him with friends do you at all no. thinking about it I mean yeah he's got his girl he's got a girlfriend which is which, which and he's which got a fine. band so yeah. they're probably friends but 
You don't see you don't see him hang out with people, do no, you? No, he's very much like um, he's. I think he's one of these like of outcast. I, I, I don't know what 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 would you call him? Maybe like warfare, maybe. But he's very much like someone who's in like very much like a free spirit in terms of he's. Well, he's nothing like his siblings, is he? No. And in I, fact, one of his siblings that. works at um, like a fast food place. Yeah. You can tell by what he's wearing. Now. I always thought that when you first watch the film, that could be a part-time job or anything or just a filling-in job. Mm. But, of course, at the end of the film, we draw a contrast with he's got a career. So, clearly, the best his older brother can manage is a fast-food place. And that's not to denigrate that type of work. But the film is telling us that his family don't tend to succeed at stuff. And he's got a great deal of determination not to be the same. He's told that at school. He's told like, "Oh no, McFly is ever about to, you know, say, well, well, history's going to change." It's kind of like, "Ha ha," you know, kind of a clever sort of like note in the film. Um, but yeah, I, I've always read it that he's he's just one of those guys who who just didn't really fit into anywhere. Really, you know, he's he's always kind of like, you know, he he wasn't the cool kid at school, but he's the kid who probably in reality is probably the cool kid. Like he's the coolest guy there, but no one gives a shit. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. So, I, I think it's this part of that, that that he's just like, oh well, some some just take interest in him. And he's like, oh, he's just you know, this guy doing like a lot of um, experiments. That's kind of interesting. You know, just just kind of like a mutual type type of thing. He wouldn't care who he's supposed to be seen hanging yeah. out with. And if he finds a 60-year-old interesting or a 40-year-old interesting or a 20-year-old interesting, so what? Yeah. Never that, really that thought about that, but you're probably right. Yeah. It's just, it's just one of those things. I mean, I think one of the, the, the things you could throw at is like how, how can Marty... I mean, the, the contrast between Marty and his dad isn't that obvious. You know, there's not much... You know, you think, well, you know, how come he's like George when George is nothing like Marty? You know, and it only really hit me actually in this screen, in this viewing, that I think when we once when we go back, I mean, forgive me, I'm jumping ahead here, but it's more of a general point. I think when we when we once he goes to the fifties, I think he's actually more like his mum. I think he's got certain traits of his father, like he doesn't want to, he doesn't like rejection. That's like this main trait he's got from his dad, and that's like the you know the kind of like goes into the whole arc of the three films itself but that's because there's no track record of success in the family yeah uh but i think in in terms of like when you look at how his mum was at school i think that he's got more in common with his mum than his dad i think this is where um the sequels have suffered started to suffer in recent years in my mind that in early viewings particularly of the second one i just thought what a clever piece of filmmaking it is and i still think that but it's definitely an awful lot more cartoonish at this stage, if you only had this film, you don't have them all looking like each other. I mean, he doesn't go back to 1955 and his father's played by him. I mean, you you do have them as, as distinctive presences rather than they're all different roles being played by the same people. Mm. Um, I wasn't a lot like my dad in a lot of ways. So I don't see it as, I don't see it as wildly odd. It's just he's he's a third child, but he's almost like an only child. Yeah, 
and maybe that's a hangover from an early part of the script or maybe it's just the age gap his older brothers are like his older brother and sister are a few years older than him and he has actually spent most of his time by himself because we don't see him with friends at no. all and he doesn't seem to have that much in common with his family either so yeah although you see some affection there I oh think. yeah i mean they're not wild i'm not suggesting that you see wild amounts of it but he's comfortable around them he's used to them i think he loves his parents i think i think there's an i can see an affection with his father hmm I mean, there is a certain level of disappointment when he doesn't stand up to Biff. He's like, oh, Dad, why? You know, why, 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 why do you let him do this? And um, there is a nice, almost like resistant in older Biff when he looks at Marcy. You know, almost if like he's almost if he's almost hesitant that he's not, uh, he's not quite the pushover. There's a pause like before he says, "What are you looking at, butthead?" Like yeah. he's, he's not used to someone looking at him. Marty's not afraid of him. Yeah, at all. But he has to respect that his father is. And, of course, he's Biff's his supervisor. So Marty can't do anything. He can end up getting his father fired. Mm. But there is a nice sort of level of, like, a little bit of confrontation that he's like, oh, crap. <laughs> it's often been said, and, and it's absolutely true, it's more so next week. Um, firstly, of all the actors in this, Thomas F. Wilson has aged into his old age makeup in that he now looks a bit like this Biff. Unfortunately, he does sadly. Uh, but, but also, uh, Biff in middle age is Donald Trump to look at. He really is. I just, I just thought you know it's a kind of uncanny parallel. Does he have the best like, words? It's, it's on purpose. He has the best words. In fact, he has all the words. <laughs> Does he have scrumptious words? <laughs> yeah. Oh, if only he had Twitter. If only they knew the old Twitter going back. And... <laughs> no, uh, yeah, definitely. So anyway, but cutting back a bit earlier, uh, Doc calls him at the lab. And it turns out the clocks were a part of an experiment. So you get the, damn, I'm late for school. And then Huey Lewis. <laughs> Huey Lewis and the news. Yeah, and he, it's like, you know, Kenny does the cool thing where riding on the um, on tails of cars, pissing people off. Wasn't, wasn't one of them the director as well, I'm pretty sure. Um, if I watched it again and I've seen it countless times, you're probably right. But I've never, yeah. I can see it in my head now. It, now it's, you've it's, said it's, that, it's the I one guy who turns around and looks at him. It's the like, open top. Yeah, that's Bob Zemeckis. I've never really thought about it. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, yeah, I bet, I bet lots of people wanted to do that back in that day when they saw that. Yeah, he is kind of pretty effortlessly cool. I'm not sure that Michael J. Fox really screams cool to me, but his overall. Um, impact on the film's really great but yeah he goes to school and he's late so we get the character part that a the strickland the mr strickland hates the mcflies and genuinely does he just genuinely thinks they're all losers and says as much and what else uh we meet jenny mm. uh jennifer yeah yeah jennifer who's recast after this week but claudia wells in this film then we go straight forward to after school with battle of the bands don't we yeah, um, we get Huey Lewis judging Lewis cameo judging playing his music. So it's too loud. Too damn loud. Too darn loud. Um, while well, well, Jennifer gives what I love about that is only he moves. Yeah, yeah. The shot composition is wonderful. If you look at the judges around him, they don't even change expressions while Marty's playing. No, they just literally. Monitoring. They look. They look almost zombified. And they just and then he looks at them, no reaction, times it perfectly, similar length of look to each side, and then gets up and stops them. 
brilliant. Uh, the guy brilliant. who's playing, I think it's bass, that Michael J. Fox goes over and sort of plays, stood next to, was his guitar coach. Taught him mm. all the moves for um, Johnny B. Good later in the film and stuff. Oh, and so he actually was, did kind of play it? It wasn't just uh, mine. He, 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 did, he did the fingering, Chris. <laughs> okay. Pardon? He, he did the fingering with guidance from other men. <laughs> fingering is actually a proper term in music. I know. I did I did notice that um, Jennifer does give uh, Michael Marty some uh, some really gooey eyes, like almost like... I did wonder what you were going to say there, Chris. <laughs> well, come fuck me eyes kind of thing, but... But then, yeah. then it's then not come to bed eyes. It's come <laughs> We've talked about that before. Come <laughs> fuck me eyes. <laughs> but yeah, no. Then they meet. Um, then basically outside the She's tower. She's really cute, Jennifer. I mean, obviously now the age I am now, she'd be ridiculously too young to be. But I always had a bit of a crush on her when I was younger. Yeah, well, I was she's, gutted she's a... when they. I was gutted when they recast her. Yeah, well, she's a she's an attractive uh, young lady. Mm. But we'll come to the reasons for the risk, mis, uh, recast in later weeks. So, um, yeah, he goes to the square with Jennifer. Uh, they've got quite good chemistry, those two. Yeah. And you get the first, the save the clock tower bit. Yes, yes, there's a lady with the... She gets a, again, all, all these things just always come towards the end. She gets a leaflet about the clock tower. She writes a name on it, on, on the back of it. So it's, it's cyclical, really, isn't it? It does come back to... And, you know, like all these sort of plot points that, like, uh, that help drive the plot along. You don't, you don't even think about it at the time. You may not even think about it when you watch it the first few times, but when you actually examine it from a script point of view, you know, it... it, it it's there for a reason. As little as even as little as that that pe- that bit of paper that Mike hands to him just to prove like, look, I've I've got a girlfriend or I've got someone who cares for me. Yeah. And it's it's information that that they need to know that the clock tower strikes. But the writing of the conversation works because he yeah. doesn't go. We need a bolt of lightning. Oh, hang on. Yeah. It's really really well done. So we get save the clock tower. So we know that sixty years. Uh, sorry, thirty years before at this point. Lightning struck it. It hasn't moved since. It's stuck at ten oh four. Also, the ledge. It's like thirty years and not even fixed it. Fuck it. No, the ledge is in. This going to show what a shit mayor Goldie is, really. Yeah, but like, keeps the floor clean. Um, <laughs> but the ledge is intact. That's worth noticing as well. You see the ledge, which obviously Doc will break later. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, it's broken later and in future future films and, and the re, you know. It, it Once Marty comes back, it's forever broken thereafter, but at this stage it's intact. And Jennifer, oh, and Marty wants the 4x4. Four four. That's very 80s. The fact that, like, that's his biggest ambition in life, that car. Well, he wants the car to go and, you know. Have a, have a, and also, a nice... the, going up to, yeah, the going up to the lake is, is key set up as well because. His mother says how disgraceful that is, and apparently there were when they were right. One of the first things that Bob Gale thought about was he saw that his father was president of his graduating class, and he thought about the president of his graduating class and realised he didn't like him, and he thought, well, would I have liked my father had I been at school with him? And then he he got to thinking about how your parents might be different, a from you and b from what you. Are told about them, so that explains why they're not the same as Marty. They have to be different. Mm. Uh, but also, Mother paints herself as purer than pure, 
and when he gets back to the 50s, she wants some. Isn't she an alcoholic as well in the... She's an alcoholic in the original 1985, yes. Yeah. Or she's certainly drinking too much, put it that way. Um, so, yeah, where do we go from there? We go... So, yeah, he's uh, got what is... To borrow the car, to go up to the lake, and when he gets home, Biff has smashed it up. And yeah. again, it's not his fault. Nothing's ever his fault, which is also very Donald Trump. Yeah, but he's drinking while he's driving, and he's like, sort of, came out of nowhere and nearly spilled my beer. <laughs> uh, it's not uh, my beer. So, yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, I think. He smashes up his car and then basically says, and you'll get in my dry cleaning bill. Yeah. yeah, and it's pretty much verbatim about what we see later on about, the, about his own work. Yeah, like it, 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 it almost pretty much is for beat for beat. Like, yeah, he's basically you don't get George, Belgium, George you don't get is, fired, do you? Yeah, George is doing the uh, reports that Biff's it's Biff's job to do. So it goes beyond delegation down the chain. He's literally doing Biff's work for him. Yeah, and it was the same when he was at school. He used to do Biff's homework. It's kind of carried on really along the line. Uh, and then, yeah, so yeah, Mark, Mark is upset because you now he can't go knob Jennifer. Next, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he actually says that I can't go knob Jennifer. Well, it's it's it, 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 it's 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 the it's not yeah sad, but you know, come on, I mean, yeah, and she doesn't like her because when I was a when I was in school, we never called a boy or sat in a parked car with a boy. She really, she really just laboured the point, doesn't she? Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and when you meet someone, it's just meant to be. Yeah. Again, all of this is set up because we see how they meet. Uh, we get a bit of story about the Enchantment Sea dance, and that's where they kiss for the first time. So Marty needs to know that information. More importantly, the viewers need to know because the kids will have been told this story time and time again, no doubt. Yeah. It, 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 it is kind of played as if like, oh, not this again. What they're watching thing. on TV is what they will later be watching at Lorraine's parents' house. And one of th- one of the things that, that um, I did pick up on was like how great um, George's reactions are when she's telling about how they first met. You know, you, you, you don't realize it on first. He's a bit guilty, doesn't he? But he, but but no, but knowing that which which one of the things watch is great about rewatching it, you get to sort of see all the, how things actually play. Yeah, he just looks absent the first time, but the second time it's like shit. What do I say? Yeah. What were you doing in the road? What? 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 what Lorraine? What? Yeah. What? Um... <laughs> we find out later what he was doing, and we'll come yeah. to it. But it, but it plays great because it's, it, you know at, at first it just seems like he's he's distracted by the TV more than anything. So he kind of like so. But yeah. Yeah. Um, worth pointing out uh, his two siblings. So that the. the um, the George McFly is played by Crispin Glover. Uh, we've covered Bruce Glover, his father, uh, because he was Mr. Wint in um, Diamonds Are Forever. Well. Yeah. Uh, and they're very similar screen presences, and they're very similar individuals in the way they come across. Uh, Wendy Jo Sperber plays... Uh, what's his... Linda, isn't it? His yeah. sister. She died aged 47 about 10 years ago. Uh, of breast cancer. Shame, isn't it? breast cancer, yeah. She, mm, she'd been diagnosed sad. at about 39. Uh, and we have uh, seen David before. David is Mark McClure, uh, also Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, I've seen him before. Also Jimmy Olsen in, uh, Superman. In, Super, in the Superman films. 
Um, Not to be confused actually, with Troy McClough. Um, and he also Justice he also had a cameo in Justice League. That wasn't actually in the final cut, though. Yes, it was. Was it? Yeah, it was. Oh, I right. saw it because I was like, oh, that's Mark McClure. I've not seen him yet, but I'll check it out. I've got a feeling he was the prison officer, but I can't quite remember now. But yeah, Mark McClure is in the final cut. Um, so uh, we get all the background on the enchantment under the sea dance. We work out how Marty has seen what a rerun is of that Jackie Gleason show. We can tell that David and David is a bit of a loser. And oh, Linda uh, Uncle Joey's... Lonely. In prison as well. That's like running gag. Yeah, he's been denied um, parole. Uh, so we know that one at least. So uh, mother's an alcoholic and uncle is in prison. Uh, sister is lonely because uh, she's been encouraged not to meet anyone, basically, because it's supposed to just happen for her. And David works in fast food. Uh, George is being bullied. Um, and we've met Biff. Uh, the only old age makeup I think in this film that's really bad is Lorraine. I don't think her middle age makeup looks very good. No, that that you can tell. Um, it does look fake. Yeah, I've got a fun fact about that later on. Okay, cool. Uh, and he's been asked by the. What's well, fun be- fact? It looks fake more than others. Yeah. He's got to meet. He's got to meet Doc at like one fifteen a.m. Yeah. And he's about three minutes late. But yeah, um, he has to meet him at Twin Pines Mall. Which later becomes Lone Pine Mall, as we all know. Yeah, and he, he does it with 25 minutes because he has to go and pick up, go to Doc's place. So he, um, yeah, so he, he, he meets him at, at the uh, Twin Pines Mall in the car park. Yeah. Where he brings out his uh, DeLorean time machine. This car looked impossibly cool when I was a kid. Um, it still looks kind of cool now though really it looks kind of cool apparently it's a nightmare to drive I mean it's just not a very well made or good car at all he said that every time you move the gear stick you, you scrape your knuckles and um, it's not a very practical car it's not a very high quality build car it flopped terribly and then there was like um, there was a scandal about money laundering and cocaine around John DeLorean and his company anyway afterwards uh, the, the, the car would be almost infamous if it wasn't for this film actually the cars made it famous as opposed to infamous infamous <laughs> it's, ju- it's just famous in this case otherwise it is famous yeah uh, comes out surrounded by like steam and smoke as well which is kind of cool yeah I think probably the DeLorean has to be one of the That's like right. most iconic movie cars definitely and he's asked Marty to film it all so he's talking to he's talking to the camera about this experiment he's going to be doing. Um, two two watches in complete synchronization, and then he puts Einstein in the car. Einstein being his sort of dog. shaggy dog, not literally Einstein. That would be weird. No, they look I've back in time. I actually got Albert Einstein. It's all set up and pay off. I don't know where they set up Einstein being put in the car, but it's paid off. <laughs> yeah. And basically, I think the one of the iconic shots of the film is the car coming towards them, mm. lightning starting to encircle it, and then it just becoming two long flame trails. Now, that effect hasn't aged well at all. Stuff no, it the hasn't. Film. Their feet are clearly not on the flames, are they? No. I mean, they're, 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 I mean, their feet would literally be on fire, and they all just stood there like 
gays. Like, no, you would be like, shit, I've shit, seen shit. much worse. I have seen much worse. But that's where that doesn't look right. The, 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 the flames were asked as added sort of later. And then he sort of explains what's been happening. Oh, basically to kill that minute till Einstein reappears. He sent Einstein one minute into the future. And then it's like, and then, yeah, so he sends, so basically to prove the experiment works, and then he sort of asks him to film the, him basically sort of announcing that he's going to go into the, into the and future. And reloading it with plutonium, because you needed plutonium, not for the, the car, but for the time circuits, I think. Yes. Conveniently, only managing to get to, like, load it at once. Because, oh, I forgot. I didn't get any, to, I didn't get any to come back. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, and, well, uh, it's and then, played as absent-minded anyway. Um, uh, I know uh, Christopher Lloyd mentions that he was very influenced by the conductor Leopold Strakowski. Oh, well, he, okay. It was very. He said that he saw Doc Brown as like conducting the orchestra of the world, and that's why there's big like theatrical movements in him. It was nearly John Lithgow. John Lithgow was first. That would have been immense. It wouldn't have been better, would it? Would it have been? No, would anyone but... have done this better than? No. John Lithgow was a great actor. I, I think it could have worked and it could have worked well, but I, I've struggled to believe that there are better casting choices for most of this film. Spot on, really spot on. I mean, it would have been different, but it would have been better. We don't know. It would have been similar to what we uh, what he did in Third Rock, I think. I don't think I've ever seen Third Rock. I never. <gasps> so it. funny! Oh my god, I love that show back in the day. Yeah, but, yeah. I think it'd be something similar towards that, but there's something there's something just inherently but, odd about Christopher Lloyd. Um, it's just kind just of wild. Works. I mean, like in his hair and everything. What the, the the thing was? What what? It's just the eccentricness of it, and just oh, the thing always makes me laugh. Like, it's just so random. Is the bit where where we where he now so where he basically says the line the line of the film which is like, I'll send you back to the future and he has almost like, and a he just like it's points like a and all that it's great that's what I'm saying the other thing is that I think of when I think of Christopher Lloyd playing this role I think of like Yoda in episode two where like he strolls in like an old man summons the force and is able to do these amazing things and he's back to being an old man again when you ever see christopher lloyd interviewed he's one of the quietest shyest men ever and apparently he's genuinely like that and yet you yell action and suddenly he's the other person comes out doesn't he? yeah he was the yeah. same right the way back to taxi and mm. even it's a wonderful it's a wonderful life so even one flew of the cuckoo's nest Yes, he, he, he plays a real. He plays one of the kookier members of what are albeit mental health patients already. Um, that's a good film. He just that's a fantastic film. It doesn't fit in any obvious series, unfortunately. No, um, but, it's but a yeah, film. yeah. It's, and, and they did, oh, there is a Christmas tree. We might near the end. We might be able to summon it. Christmas. Christmas, or we could we could do a. It's a struggle. Um, Jack Nicholson series, or we could do a. I don't know. Uh, you'd struggle with the Milos Forman. I think we would. Milos Forman, maybe. Mm. Yeah. But anyway. Um, anyway, moving on. But yeah, he's, he's a real quiet, shy guy. I remember around the time, I think the third one came out, because it was Wogan. It was one of the Wogan episodes. Wogan was, uh, Terry Wogan, for those of you not in this country, was a, a BBC television presenter for years. Um, I don't know who your equivalent would be, but it was largely light entertainment. But he did, he did during the 80s and very early 90s, uh, a thrice weekly um, interview show, 7 to 7.30 every night. 
um, and he would just interview people. Um, it wasn't. It was all very light. He wasn't much of an interviewer, to be honest. But um, oh, I don't I mean, know about he, that, David. He, I, I like him <laughs> as a presenter, and I like him as a guy. But I don't think interviewing was really his forte. But um, he's he more whimsical, really, more than anything. Else yeah, he is. He yeah. had. Um, he had. Um, well, uh, my earliest sort of exposure to him was his interview show, and so I didn't think much of him. But once he stopped doing that. And I just saw him in other things. I thought, yeah, actually, you've got a real good way about you, and you're quite funny. He's a radio host. He hosts radio too. He was, ra- he radio was so. his radio was his first and greatest talent. Mm, definitely. But um, he um, he had Christopher Lloyd on one night, and I know it was the third one because Mary Steenburgen was the second guest. So, like ten minutes into the show, he shifted over a seat and she came on, and he was so quiet. It was like pulling teeth. It was one of the dullest interviews I've, I've ever seen because he, he just didn't say very much and to think that was the same guy who played doc brown is extraordinary it's very like when you watch um um rowan atkinson rowan atkinson similarly really boring interview and yet able to summon this whole other persona when the camera rolls yeah no it's like i always think like it's like tommy lee jones as well i mean he's very uber serious but you know he can be funny you know it can be hilarious but you know he's just very like you know I like Jim Carrey now. He's gone kind of very serious and gone very kind of like what, well, you know, what's, what's going on funny, in the world. So he might as well try something else. Well, listen, he's never been kind of rubber limbed and rubber faced and pulling the, you know these yeah. weird arm movements and all the rest of it. And then he's interviewed. He's kind of like, well, well, you know, he's gone very, very much like what is what's going on in the world. Well, it's yeah. a bit weird, but yeah, no, uh, definitely. But yeah, um, so hang on a minute. Where do we go from there? So they, he t- he's basically we find out that he was the one who's got the plutonium that if you were paying attention at the start of the film had been stolen yeah and he's using it to power this <laughs> this machine or certainly the time circuits yeah because he, he, he agreed to make a bomb for some terrorists you know but, but, but this, is, this is actually a kids film so there's there's talk of making bombs for terrorists and, you see. Yeah. and Libyan terrorists were kind of the ISIS of their day you quite often used to see about some act of Libyan terrorism at the time um, and he's basically given them used pinball machine parts <laughs> Just, uh, the, the, the balls of this guy is extraordinary uh, but then the Libyans turn up they found me, I don't know how but they found me it's like well, how, like did you not know your home address? <laughs> well, he wasn't at his home address, was he? No, that's true. Uh, I don't. I'm not I can't a imagine it's a big town. Though, I'm isn't not it? a great lover of um, somehow kind of plot points, but it works here because we just need an immediate panic, and then suddenly turning up out of nowhere would certainly fit the bill. Yeah, I mean, like, if chance are. If this generally happened, you wouldn't actually know, and you'd have to. You wouldn't know you, why. You, you, you'd you'd have to bend over backwards to try and explain that to the to the audience how it happened, and it, for for the sake for the sake of it, or do you really need I mean, to know it's that not much? Impossible. He's in the town, isn't he? Yeah. He's still he's still in. I was about to say Bedford Falls. This tells you a lot about how I see this film. Um, he, he's still in Hill Valley. I mean, he's in a public place in Hill Valley and he's not at home. They could have been driving around for hours looking for him, yeah. to be fair. So like I don't a have a massive problem flash. with it, but it is, it is a point that, like, how would they have found him? Well, the film doesn't have time to tell us and it doesn't actually matter. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they turn up and they uh, 
<laughs> they shoot him uh, several times <laughs> kind of like a, an automatic or something yeah, yeah. They, they shoot him several times he's on the floor dead plot point good job didn't shoot him in the head though yeah I know <laughs> I mean if you wore a bulletproof vest on your face it would give the, would give the game away wouldn't it <laughs> um, uh, do, uh, Marty dives into the car and he's just at the start randomly almost driving around he's randomly just trying to stay out of their way yeah Again, what's really works well about this is like you can just tell he's just thinking about getting away, and he completely forgets about the whole time traveling bit of the car. <laughs> well, I do think let's see if you the bastards can do ninety is ambiguous because he's been told at eighty eight. So is he doing that? No, he's he's too shocked when he gets to the past for it to be deliberate. Yeah, he's so just I, thinking he needs to get away. He's forgotten about the fact that. He's to, and it might be that he's, he missed the fact fight, that he's, he's turned it on. Panicking. Yeah, yeah. The circuits have to be switched on. You that car does not necessarily time travel just when you do eighty-eight. Yeah, because the time circuits don't have to be on. So it's it's really well done, and of course he immediately sparks into the past and drives straight into a tree. Yeah, knocks out one of the twin pies. Yeah. Old Peabody's farm. And again, set up and pay off because Doc was talking about that five minutes ago. I remember when this was all, all, uh, all just fields as far as the eye could see. Old man Peabody owned this farm. Old, old farmland here. And uh, yeah, he drives straight into a, a shed and uh, asks for help and then gets shot at. Now, this is where the whole Spaceman from Pluto idea came from because this all um, influenced George's book later, you know, the, the, the DeLorean and all the rest of it, and Darth Vader and so on. Um, but also um, because the craft looks otherworldly, and when he comes back, they think he's a spaceman. That's where he decided that this is what the film should have been called. Sid Scheinberg, what a great idea. I mean, he ran a major studio for years, so I don't want to ridicule the guy, but that wasn't a great idea. So what's the, what's the idea that it was called that because... People from the fifties thought he was a spaceman. Yes, right, that's okay. exactly it, and it's based on the obviously the book that George later goes to write, which is called. Yeah, I, I don't think it's called Spaceman from Pluto at all, but um, whatever it's called, um, it, it, it's all related to that. And of course, um, uh, it was Steven Spielberg's influence that got that stopped. The only other thing that's uh, different is the character of Lorraine wasn't called Lorraine in the original script. She was called something else, like Mary or something. That's one thing. That, that was a Sid Scheinberg um, change. Because his wife is called Lorraine. We might find out who that lady is, actually, uh, when we get to fun facts later. That's fun fact. So where do we go? So he, he drives off again, doesn't he? And then, um... He just thinks it's a dream. And, of course, what's surreal around it now is... He's just driving. He's driving way too fast. His hands are really shaky on the re- the wheel. This guy's having a full-on panic attack. And also the sun's rising, which makes it even more kind of surreal. The sun's rising. There's something about that that makes it look even more surreal. Hmm. And then he pulls over because he sees the entrance to Lyons Estates, which is where he lives. Which but is no surrounded ha- by fields. There's no houses there. There's just the beginnings of what will be the entrance to the estate. That's it. it. It's it's very like Hilldale later on. That Hilldale is in the eighties about to be built as this wonderful housing of the future. That when it comes to it, isn't that amazing? Um, 
and this is the same. This is meant to be wonderful modern housing, but by the time it gets to the 80s, a loser like George is living there. Just goes to show how times can change, can't it? All these grand ideas. Yeah, the car cuts out as well. Yeah, yeah, he runs out of petrol. Is it petrol? Uh, I think so. The car just isn't working properly, mm. and in fact, that endures throughout the trilogy that the car's a bit unreliable going forward. Uh, and he tries to get a lift, but of course, he's dressed in um, he's dressed in, in basically a biohazard suit. <laughs> so everyone's terrified. No, Wilbur, don't stop. <laughs> but also, like a guy in strange clothes as well, just like nope, nope. That's what I mean. It's what yeah. he's wearing. He's trying to get like a lift. He ends up having no choice but to just walk into town, which is like a couple of miles or something. No, does he not take off the? Um, the... He does take it off and, and pushes the car behind, like yeah. the side of that house. Let's hope they aren't building that day. <laughs> well, you know, he, he does disguise it very well with a few twigs. Yeah, yeah, a stick a twig <laughs> on it, and I'll sort it out. <laughs> yeah, so basically, walks two miles into the uh, town square. Walk straight into the uh, the cafe or diner. Uh, is that before he goes into the square? Doesn't he go into the square and grab a newspaper? He grabs a newspaper out of the bin because he walks in and I think the ballad of Davy Crockett is playing. Mm. Or is it Mr. Sandman? No, I think it's Mr. Sandman. The ballad of Davy Crockett's playing in the cafe. So, yeah, Mr. Sandman's playing and you get shots of like... And also that, that theatre... Which is like, which has some sort of soft porn film in it later. It's got um, a Ronald Reagan film playing. So Ronald Reagan's still an actor at this point. <laughs> and then someone drops a newspaper into the bin and he picks it up and sees the date and it's November 5th, 1955. And he, yeah, he do that sort of why, like, shot. And then. Um... Then I think he goes into the cafe. Yeah. He, he goes in, as, as for a tab, he says, like, well, you don't get one to you, at least you want Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he means tab the drink. Yeah, tab. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, which yeah, lasts about five minutes in this country in the eighties. But yeah, I don't quite enjoy tab. But it tastes like it tastes like yeah, tab, coke, yeah. but it was clear. Yeah, it was. Yeah, but anyway, he wants that. He ends up just basically having a coffee, coffee, because he asked for a Pepsi free next, and it's like <laughs> there's no such thing. No, no such thing. Pepsi free. And then he goes to get. Uh, oh, he's he goes, Goldie as well, doesn't he? he yeah, and he also basically goes. He him to become mayor. Yeah. yeah, he gets Doc's number first. That's the one. Uh, uh, the yeah. thing, so he knows to go where to go to find him. Yeah, uh, and then he sees then he sees his father in there. Yes, and they're pulling the same expression as Biff walks in the door. <laughs> as I say, one is like, "Don't ever see, go back in here." And okay. fly, we can get that all the way through. Fly, and they both go, "Huh?" No, it's a very funny scene. Um, there's a lot of random 80s references, like Tab and Pepsi and stuff like that, and it's, it's very um, anachronistic. Um, yeah, it's good fun, obviously, you've seen the meeting between um, Marty and McFly Jr. and McFly Sr. Um, and you can see Crispin Glover disappear out from that mound of makeup um, and grey hair. Because um, I think there's only about four or five years between between them. Um, yeah, they're all yeah. aged up, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But no, yeah, so we've seen like we've seen Biff um, basically getting wailed on. Um no not Biff even. <laughs> George getting wailed on by Biff. Um but yeah, I love the whole fifties dynasty, I think it's it's very cool, it's an iconic scenes. Um I think it's just where we see matches where Billy Zane in the background is one of the um one of the stooges. 
Uh, Billy Zane is one of uh, is one of his sort of gang, if you like. Yeah. Obviously, got 3D, who's wearing 3D glasses. Yeah, 3D glasses. Yeah, another 50s reference as well. But yeah, obviously, obviously, it's one of those films that you have a lot of callbacks to as well. And obviously, he meets Goldie. Um, it basically drops, the, you know, the seed of the idea for him to become mayor. It's like, oh yeah, I'll become mayor. A coloured mayor. <laughs> and, yeah, great. the guy's like, it'll never happen. It's like, well, actually, you'd be surprised. I do, yeah, I, I, I do, I do wonder whether like the you know, the place is better is better off with Goldie because I'm not I'm not sure he's done that good a job considering. No, that's it. Because okay. seen everything's like sort all, of gone down all, a bad line. Just him as like all a those pawn. years of training by like mopping floors. Yeah, yeah it's not like I'll get rid. Of, I'll get out of the uh, dump. Certainly, like, the, the mayor at this point is uh, Mayor Red Thomas. Now, there's two things about this. Firstly, the um, all the spiel about him, more jobs, lower. T- uh, it's it's Brooklyn, well, firstly, it's, it's politics and it, uh, it's well. First off, it's uh, the inherent farce of political campaigning in that they're promised. Loads more spending and lower taxes, which is impossible, generally speaking. <laughs> um, uh, also, it's the very same sort of stuff that's being said about um, uh, is being said for Goldie later. The third point is that um, a pe- people have erroneously um, suggested that Red Thomas later becomes that bum red from the future or from the 1980s and it isn't firstly marty um improvised that line when he called him red and secondly um it's not the same guy it's just not the same guy it's not the same actor or anything no it just happens to be called red yes and again it was improvised not in the script so it's just a coincidence anyway yeah so yeah and then so you get the whole scene with uh, Biff and Biff, like you know, asking why, what, you know, why I've done my homework, we're flying, we're home, you know, oh, your shoes untied and all that, and then darts off, and Marty's just there, still gawking at his dad. Yeah, well, he notices uh, that his dad sort of disappears before he notices him, so he follows him and shouts, and I love that from a comic timing perspective. Hey, Dad, uh, you, uh, you on the bike? <laughs> Um, George, Dad, you on the bike or whichever way round it is. And of course, we don't realise, but it's all set up in payoff because the next time we see George, he's in a tree looking <laughs> in a window at some woman in quite a massive bra, it has to be said. It's very big. It's very big. But yeah, he's basically a peeping Tom, which Marty actually says in dialogue. Yeah, a bit, poo- bit um, pervy. And then he falls out of the tree into the path of a car. And Marty, without thinking, pushes him out of the way. Now, of course, they met when George was hit by a car, and now Marty's been hit by the car. And so that's all set up and pay off again. The other thing is, that sound effect of Marty's head hitting the road still goes through me. Does it? Yeah. I, I, I can't think of it if, now if I try and think of it. I... It just sounds painful. And I thought, you know... And that when I think now, because he's got a neurological disorder as well, but of course it was added as Foley work anyway. I doubt his head hit the road that hard. No, that would have probably killed him. Yeah. Um, so now Marty is in Lorraine's bed. <laughs> and it should have been George. Yeah. I mean, this was kind of like controversial at the time. Like, I, I, I imagine like reviews were kind of like, is this... Except it's always going to be it's always going to be a bit controversial, isn't it? Because that, that's kind of where the sort of the tension is, and some of the comedy as well. Um, but as, as long as the fact that 
you know, he's called Calvin Klein because of the name on his underpants. Well, just to go back a step, when when they were, um, I, I, would, I don't want to take too long out of the run of the film, but um, this was something like their fourth film, uh, Gale and Zemeckis. They made a film called, they made Used Cars and I Want to Hold Your Hand. And both of those were funded by Steven Spielberg. And they were huge um, flops or he, he at least produced them. So they wanted to like make their name. So they went off, and the film that the, this is really uh, the the success, the film that that whose success this is reliant on effectively was *Romancing the Stone*. *Romancing the Stone* was a big hit, big Bob Zemeckis film, and suddenly this this film's back in play. But they went round all the studios trying to get this made, and it was turned down by virtually everyone on the basis that stuff like *Porky's* was being made. You know, this was all a bit safe and tame, with the exception of Disney, who were the exact opposite. Disney said, "You cannot have. We cannot make a film where his mother wants wants him sexually." So it's really funny. It was it was controversial, but it was only controversial with the main Disney studio. Everyone else saw it as relatively tame, and, and you know, it was made in the eighties, not the forties, for goodness' sake. I think it's just seen for what it is. Humour. She doesn't know who he is. No. Yeah, it's that all awkward kind of like, oh no. Yeah. Um, but you know, she does deliver like I've got about come fuck me eyes. But she does. <laughs> well, I also love where are my pants over there? Pause. A couple of shallow breaths on my hope chest. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure she's even like licking her lips as well like kind of like well licking yeah there are um, yeah then she is slowly out of banana um, <laughs> um, sitting quiet in the corner staring at me eating a banana yeah. there are shots of Eric Stoltz in this scene as well Eric Stoltz, this is one of the ones Eric Stoltz did film originally yeah in fact I'm finding you a screenshot now while we're, while we're talking but yeah, um, and then he goes down to dinner and meets his future sort of family, effectively. Yeah, and it's all kind of, you know, the, the, the usual life preserver joke as he's a sailor, and that uh, that TV programme still playing on, brand new. Uh, yeah, Jackie Gleason. This is the one that, uh, this is a classic. This is the one where, you know, Ralph meets the man from space, and it's like, how have you seen it? It's brand new. And it's like, well, I saw it on a rerun what's a rerun (laughs) you'll find out and that kid talking to him is later later becomes Kevin Arnold's older brother in the Wonder Years Jason Hershey first TV as well and of course he tells them he's got two TVs and of course they don't believe that at all (laughs) you must be rich Uh, (laughs) and the conversation is really awkward because you've got Lorraine saying he can stay in my room touching his knee under the table and him saying, oh, he wants to go to, like, Maple or Sycamore or whatever it is where Doc lives. And he's then going, yeah, it's up by Je- John F. Kennedy Drive. And it's like, who the hell is John F. Kennedy? <laughs> uh, by this point, John F. Kennedy would have been a senator and he had won the Pulitzer Prize for Profiles in Courage. But it kind of works as a joke. He, uh, he, he wasn't super famous. Yeah, not, not, not everyone will necessarily know who he is. No, I mean we are talking six years before, uh, five years before he was elected. So yeah, I guess that works okay. Yeah, and, spe- and especially like at that time as well, we know we haven't got like the, the the media that we have now. You wouldn't know every senator necessarily, but yeah, yeah it's just worth pointing out that um, he wasn't a complete unknown at this point because, as I say, he'd won the Pulitzer Prize. I think he had anyway, and he was already in the Senate. I think he was elected in fifty four. 
Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he heads off the dock. Yeah, and uh, not before, like, he's, <laughs> um, a father oh, sort of tells like, oh, if you have a kid like that, I'll just, I'll just own you. <laughs> yeah, and also we see Joey get used to these bars kids. Yeah. Uh, kid. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they go to the dock. Joey, Joey, Joey. And then uh, Christopher Lloyd's acting uh, eccentric as, as as he is, really. The thing is, as well, uh, on every version of this film I'd ever seen until 2010, because I hadn't seen it on the big screen, I thought what well, I thought the joke was meant to be. He looked exactly the same. The guy never aged, mm. but he is actually <laughs> younger here. Yeah, you can clearly see he's more fresh-faced. The other thing is, I, I think that... Um, yeah, they put they put a lot of lines around his eyes and on his neck. But the other thing as well is, did Doc burn this down for the insurance money? Probably. <laughs> well, that's some fine insights, folks. <laughs> yes, he did. Right, brilliant. Um, I love this scene. He knocks on the door, Doc opens it, and immediately drags him in the door. Well, no, he doesn't. He closes it. <laughs> for a split second... Yeah, opens, opens it, it again, again. And then looks t- around, <laughs> drags it, drags him in, and puts this plunger on his head because he and wants to read his mind. Yeah, we go through the whole thing where he guesses incorrectly, and then Marty just tells him all. You this want stuff. me to make a, uh, what was it? Uh, the children's, uh, the women's youth auxiliary, or something like that. <laughs> you want you want me to buy a subscription to yeah. <laughs> women's youth auxiliary? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. And he, he pulls it off his head to tell him the truth. That's yeah. actually really awesome. He tells him, like, look, you sent me, really I'm well from the future, you sent me the time machine, I, I need you to get me back. Do you know what this I means? Love. And of course, what I, this thing doesn't work at all. <laughs> but I love as he starts, like, he walks about the door and he says, okay, tell me, future boy, who's president of the United States in 1985? And of course, it's the one era in history where the answer you would give would sound ridiculous. <laughs> A B-movie actor. Yeah. I mean, he's playing in a film that's on in the main town at the moment. Yeah. Cat Queen of Fantasia or something. And who's vice president? Jerry Lewis? (laughs) I suppose Jane Wyman is first lady, because that's obviously his first wife, who was also an actress. Yeah, I I can't see that that joke working as well. Possibly with Trump, if he made it now, it'd be like, what, Trump's president? Well, yeah, that famous 30, yeah, that guy who runs casinos. It would have been if it had been thirty years ago. Yeah, yeah. but I think that's the only real thing I can really think. Of, think I'm at work. Work if he remade it. There, there's not really anything quite like it. No, but yeah, no. Uh, although, I, having said that, again, it does support the shifting, shifting. Um, the shifting timeline of the film that I've read versions where they say it was always 1955 and then I've read versions where they said no it was always 30 years before uh, he married Nancy Reagan in 1952 so who would have been first lady Jane Wyman? when he divorced her six years before so minor things but there are a few anachronistic jokes in it yeah so he shuts him out and says good night future boy but of course set up and pay off Earlier on, Doc had been saying about the time when he invented time travel. Mm. And he said that he was standing on the toilet to hang a clock, slipped, hit his head, and when he came round, he had a vision 
of this, and he was the flux capacitor. And the way Michael J. Fox delivers it, it's literally just like I'm just desperately saying anything though. Like, I've just got to say, yeah. You know, it's um, you know, you can kind of feel like it, it's almost like hopeless now. It's like, um, I'm, I'm not even convinced. This well, even even work. by he's, the end, of, even by listening. the end of the story, he's losing momentum. He's yeah. just like, which is what makes time travel possible. You know, it's like he's done by then. Yeah, it was Cattle Queen of Montana. I've just looked it up. That All was right. the film playing in the square. I did actually remember that correctly, which is unusual because I can never yeah. remember that title. Well, uh, but yeah, he opens the door and shows him the picture. He's like, like this, you mean this? Of course, he later shows him, shows him it in the car. Mm. So Doc's on board. So Doc's now a believer. Uh, so they're t- telling them all about it. Um, but did he pick up the car or did he have a conversation first? They have a conversation first because he said uh, he starts talking about uh, plutonium. Yeah. And that's where he says, um, I think he plays him some of the video actually. And it's the 1.21 gigawatts. Well, he has to pick up the car first, wouldn't he? Because the. But yes, they must have done. I can't really remember. Considering I know this film like the back of my hand, I've, I've seemed to have forgotten that bit. But anyway, the point is um, they're showing you a bit of the video and he hears himself say the 1.21 gigawatts. 1.21 gigawatts! And he's brilliant in that bit. And he said, well, we just got some plutonium. And it's yeah. like, well, I'm sure you can get it in every corner store in 1985, but it's a little <laughs> harder to come by now. And that's where so he says about, can't. you need a bolt of lightning. Yeah. Which is just, again, brilliant, because he's got the exact time that's going to happen written on something in his pocket. Yeah, as so, if, yeah. I mean, yeah, all this might be feel forced, but it's something... I think what what's really great about this film, and I don't know if you noticed... There's a really good rhythm. It, it, it's quite fast pacing. It has a nice sort of roll, rollingness about it. it. It goes dead quick. So the dialogue runs off like almost like so efficiently. Like yes, it's got a very even pace. Yeah, it just like you know. It, I mean, so a lesser filmmaker or lesser writer would have made that feel a little bit forced. But this kind of like goes at, goes. At, it's so efficient and so pace it delivering it that you kind of go okay okay well this is working yeah yeah that's fine it just it just goes through everything so yeah i um it's a really sort of hypnotic pace almost so you just kind of like you just go with it what's next so yeah so they they figure out what they're gonna do and then he well he basically says to him i'm afraid you've basically got to stay here for a week yeah um, and it's like, well, great, I can hang out, you can show me around the place, you know, and all the rest of it. It's like, no, you can't. Have you interacted with your parents? Have you, you can't interact with anyone. Yeah. You haven't, inter- you haven't, have you? And it's, well, I may have bumped into my parents. <laughs> and it's like, and then he says about, um, I can't, he said, uh, hits, the, I can't remember what they say, but he, he was talking about. Oh, oh, oh no, no, another thing, we, he shows him the, the picture, um, at first, this is like before they established that, and he sort of said, "Oh, that, that that's a fake one. The hands are missing." That's fakery because the head's missing. Or oh, what? Well, yeah, well, no. I think he says a hand at first. I think it's his hair, actually. Okay. I think oh, I Dave's that. hair is missing, and when we next see it, it's his whole. And head. it's so throwy because we don't notice it. Yeah, because you only see it for a split second, but we are getting different versions of that picture mm. each time. So yeah, and then then he have, then he figures out, and he looks at the picture again, and he starts seeing. Their style now starting to fade. So he's into, and that's when he figured out, 
okay, we need your to presence it. here. And it's like, well, they meet and they go to the enchantment and the sea dance and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, they met when he hit him. She, her dad hit him with the car, hit me with the car. Yeah. Try that one again. So it's, yeah. So, um, yeah. So he's basically got to go to school and start trying to get them back together. So I haven't been told he can't and interact. And hilarity issues. <laughs> yeah, and the first thing we see, he, he actually sees George. He said, "Which one's your father?" And it's like that one. And it's he's you know he's got a sign saying "Kick me" on his back. Yeah. Oh god, that's awful. And George is just like he's so he's so spineless for it all. He's like, "Oh, okay, that's good fun." Yeah, you know. Just, oh, I, I I didn't notice this till recently, but is one of those guys kicking up the backside? That kid who tries to steal the rain at the dance. Uh, I don't know. Is the honest fact? It could probably. This film is so tightly made that way. I would think so, but I've never noticed. Yeah, just just something that I sort of thought because it's so blinky you miss it. But anyway, so he tries to introduce um, George to Lorraine, and that just doesn't work. Because Lorraine's just like, oh, okay. not interested. She just doesn't even see George really. Yeah. She walks straight past him. Isn't he a dreamboat? And it's like, <laughs> and then the the shock and um, the shock and worry on Doc's face is brilliant. After that, it's totally like, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on, we we need them to go to some sort of ritual event. What do your parents like to do? Nothing. And actually, that's kind of how we all see our parents because they don't tend to have hobbies by the time we come along and reach a certain age. Yeah, they're just sort of like, oh, it's just mum and dad. Just yeah, they've just sort of slipped into whatever their daily rhythm is. So typically, when it's like, what do they like to do? Nothing. But he's got to hang around until this dance. So he's got. It's now focused around the enchantment onto the sea dance. That's effectively. They yeah. have to be together by then. So it's almost like a ticking clock. They've got to be together by then and kiss at that dance. And then have to be there um, at the, in DeLorean, get that as thing, it's struck by lightning. So uh, where do we go from there? Once we, so we do talk to George again? Uh, yeah, well, he keeps trying to sort of hang around with George to get George to ask Lorraine mm. out. And, and like George is like, she's not interested I think he goes up to her. I think he, she goes up. He goes up. But to he him thinks like he, she's interested in Biff, which is kind of like. And, and quite clearly, Biff is, he's because he's in the canteen, basically trying to touch her up, but very yeah. boorishly. Not yeah, like manhandling her, basically. Up, but it's it's manhandling. It's not slyly trying to touch someone up. It's very open, very blatant, and very unwelcome. And again, it's problems I'll have with the sequel because the exaggeration on the Biff character does get a bit ridiculous. But at this point, it's a bully that no one has ever sort of punched back on. So his his, um, perception of his own right to do whatever he wants is pretty much unlimited. Mm. So, so, yeah, um, they have... uh, Yeah, that's what it is. They end up... And also, he does... uh, he tells them to leave her alone and they do square up at each other so there's now antipathy between Marty and Biff mm. uh, and then uh, and then Sinclair gets in just in time and he's off I'll, I'll Strickland yeah sorry Strickland um, 
comes in and uh, and basically breaks. Sinclair drives in his C five. Yeah, and then um, yeah, he sort of biffs off. I'll give you a break since you knew here. Why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Which never made any sense, but I never questioned until the sequel. I think they do improvise, like, weren't I, they? I, I don't know if it was or not, but I, make, think, yeah, I, I doubt it. This script was so well written, I'd be very surprised if it's improvised. But hmm. You may be right. I think but obviously make, Biff was a bit was not as clever to go make like a tree and leave. Yeah, but make like a tree and get out of here. I never questioned, even no. though it's clearly bullshit. It was like, oh. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's just to establish that the guy isn't well, like the smartest guys. No, Yeah. Um... I mean, I'm surprised he didn't sort of go back on that when he when he gets corrected, like leave, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, we, basically we got a week or so of this now. We've got um, uh, Marty trying to get them together and it not working out. She's only interested in him. She even turns up at uh, Doc's Doc's place the, and uh, asks, basically implies she wants him to take her. Yeah. Um, and then, so, does the Adam later one, or does that happen uh, before or after 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 the the diner? The diner, no, he goes into, yeah, the di- I think the diner's first. He goes in to talk to her at the diner and Biff ruins it. Yeah, so he, like, uh, Marty gives him the, convinces him to sort of try again and give him, like... And gives him his dialogue. Yeah. It's like, you, you are You're my, my destiny. density. You are my density. No, what, what does he say? The way Crispy, something the like, way, um, you shall pop up in me. Or, not like that, but something like that. Has <laughs> popping to me. me to you. Yeah, you pop me to you. That's the one. Um, and I like, yeah, the way Crispin Glover delivers that's really quite sweet. Yeah. Actually, yeah. when he corrects himself and says, I mean, my destiny. He's got such a sweet voice. He has. He's very lovely. There's a, there's a really nice reaction because before that, there was, there, there was a sense of like, okay, well, the romance between George and Lorraine was kind of like lightning in a bottle because of the, what well, as Christopher Lloyd Doc says, uh, it's like like the nurse's syndrome or something like that, you know, when, when like the patient, when a, when a, when a nurse one that falls in love with the patient. Yeah, vice versa. kind of thing. So you think of yeah, like, it used that, to happen on battlefields and stuff, yeah. That could only, that could only have happened in that service and it's obviously... How how are you possibly going to re- reenact that? Um, so before before then is like oh, this this is going to be literally be impossible. And um, but with with that with that scene, you almost sort of see her heart kind of kind of melt when he says that. I was like, ah, oh. re- re- and then he, and then Biff comes in. <laughs> so and then yeah, Biff comes in, and then you know my kind of does this hero hero thing, which which completely distracts the right? Yeah, invent skateboarding. Knocks yes. Biff out and invent skateboarding. Yeah. <laughs> there were people who were around with scooters, though. I mean, they did sort of modify a scooter. Yeah, that's all it is. I mean, they were, they were just, yeah, effectively. But it's a great sequence the first time because he's making it up as he goes along. And whilst I like the fact it rhymes in the sequels, Mm. O- over time, I-, I can see where yeah, it-, it doesn't work as well. Partly because we've already seen it, uh, but partly because he is genuinely making it up as he goes along here. Because of course, there's now four or five of them get straight in the car and chase him, and you get the impression 
See, I don't know that Biff's meant to be the murderer that he then becomes in the second one, but at the same time, he's lost his head. Uh, he might do Marty some serious damage, if you know what I mean, before. Because yeah. they're chasing him in a car. What's the end game of that? Pinning him against something? Mm. Running him over? I don't know. I think I, I, I think it's like hothead, meathead thing That's mentality. Exactly, exactly. I don't actually think it works when he's later a murderer. And he's not really a rapist either. He's kind of just got carried away. It, it is a sexual assault later in the film. I'm not arguing with that. But... Um, it's it's a little bit exaggerated. It's taken a bit too far in the sequels. I I, I think you can. I mean, twice I have to watch the the sequels. But if you're thinking about future Biff Tannen, um, you could say he grew into that because of the, the circumstances. Oh yeah, you know, sure, he's like he just kind of. It's almost like when someone is allowed to prosper on up with those morals, shall we say? It's only going to get worse, so you could say, you know. Yeah, it, it is sort of nature and nurture. I get, I get Yeah, I do get that. But you, you might be right in terms no, of like other aspects. So, where, where, where are we now? Uh, yeah, so we do the classic thing where he sort of does the the cool the cool thing by sort of just letting the skateboard yeah, go so into the car. Like, yeah, so she's desperate for him to take her. She even turns up, as I say, at <laughs> Doc's place. At the same time, um, he's now got to get. George interested. George is now completely defeated again and talking about, you know, um, and he also says that he doesn't want to go because he's watching Mystery Science Theatre that night or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. So then basically Marty gets the idea of wearing all the kit and pretending to be some kind of, you know, alien. Yeah. And while, <laughs> while pissing off two very strong sci-fi fans. He's Darth Vader <laughs> from the planet Vulcan. <laughs> This was originally a longer scene, and, and it does lead to continuity errors because sometimes he's got the hairdryer in his belt and sometimes he doesn't. And it's because it's a lo- it was a longer scene that actually ended with him chloroforming George, which pays off in suspect. the next... Well, in the, we didn't chloroforming and bum him or anything. This is his survival that's necessary, to be fair. But also it led on to the scene where he said that he overslept in the next scene where he runs oh, up yes, to him and says, didn't see you in school, so that's why. But it got cut because it just wasn't necessary and it was too long. But he plays him uh, Van Halen. Oh. Or, it, or, uh, or is it uh, James Van Halen? Something like that. It, I think isn't the, the actual music is just the guitar player just riffing. It was recorded. Eddie Van too. Halen. Yeah, sorry, Edward Van Halen, sorry. Yes. Um, yeah. And he's just, I think it's literally just him riffing on a guitar. I think it was actually, it's not actually off, off an actual band name. Right, yeah. But anyway, it's got George convinced. George runs over to him next and says, like, we got to sort this out. And I love the little visual gag here. He's fighting like fuck to get that uh, bottle open. Yeah. He's trying to open a bottle of Coke and George just grabs it from him and just uses the <laughs> bottle and grabs it right back. That's Lots fantastic. of little touches. This, these are people, I think, that have lived with this script for a very long time. Yeah. They know how they want to execute it. But not only that, they've kept iterating on it. They've kept like adding that little bit of flavour with each pass they've taken at it, and spotted obvious ideas on set each day. I yeah, I just think it's really really terrific. It's so that's now it's been constantly evolving, hasn't it? I think I get the impression that it's always kind of been, you know, rather than just being like a static document. Uh, those sorts of things don't tend to be in first drafts. No, exactly. It um, takes time. But so now the plan is. Um, 
he's going to basically park up with her, try it on, and then um, <laughs> George is going to come to her rescue, which is immediately a flawed plan because this woman is desperately horny for him anyway. So it's the idea that she'll be outraged. <laughs> I, I already recognise this as a shit idea. <laughs> and what I love is uh, George obviously not being an actor because he goes to him, you're lying, George. And he goes, uh, hey, you, get your damn hands off her. <laughs> it's, it's just wonderful. Think I swear? Yes, God damn it, George, swear. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's really cool. Oh, so funny. So it's not far from there to, to actually getting to the night. I'm sure we've missed some stuff out, but we've hit the major bits. We probably beats. have, but we, yeah, we've hit the main beats. I don't we? know, it is a pretty lean film, really. It is a pretty lean film, and it's it's only a couple of hours nothing, as well. Nothing to it is, yeah, nothing to it. Um, nothing in this film like, isn't drag. Um, it's, it's all, everything that needs to be there is there. It's essential. Um um, yeah, yeah. It just it zips by. It's got a real sense of pace. Um, it, you know, it rattles along at a really good pace. It's very quick. It's very quick on the mark. It's funny. But I, I love this as well. And it's the payoff of dialogue because early on she said about I've never sat in a park car with a boy or you know yeah. girls and other. And he pulls up and he says, "Do you want to just park?" Which he <laughs> thinks his mum's going to go absolutely not to, mm-hmm. and she's like, "Yeah, yeah, coat off, <laughs> fucking nice cleavage showing." Um, booze in fact straight she does, she does have a lovely dress in this film I will say she does I love like the 50s fashion yeah Thompson was cool. at this age she was about 24 at the time the actress but yeah um, so young I think he was they were probably older than they're older than their characters they're older they're than the characters well they're still older than the characters yeah um, I like so, Joe Fox he's blessed with those good genes that he just, I mean now is, he still he looks you know not very old at all considering his advanced years He's not well either. He's no, like, Parkinson's too, but no, he still, look, he still looks good though. But yeah, I was ever in Africa for Parkinson's, yeah, which is very course, important work that he does. no furious as well, because that big sort of car chase earlier on ended up with him, his car being filled with manure. <laughs> oh, stinky. Was that real manure? No, it wasn't. I will put that. Actually, uh, listeners, this, if you like, I'll play it now, is the... Uh, uh, he was asked so many questions over the years, including would there be a Back to the Future um, 4 and all the rest of it, that Thomas F. Wilson does stand-up, and he tucked to singing a song that would just answer all of the questions. Uh, okay. And here it is. When I'm flying in a plane or I'm on the street, there's a lot of famous people that I like to meet. They shake my hand and never ask my name And they start asking questions that are always the same Hey, what's Michael J. Fox like? He's nice What's Michael J. Fox like? Nice guy What's Michael J. Fox like? He's an alien Stop asking me the question I went to the bar mitzvah of my nephew Josh Now I'm not Jewish but I like to nosh on my yarmulke started to pray when the rabbi leaned over and I heard him say hey was that real manure no it wasn't was that real manure no was that real manure it's a movie stop asking me the question 
can we take your picture? Come on, look mean. Would you call my friend a butthead on his answering machine? Hey, questions, questions, just fill my head. I went to my doctor, my doctor said, Hey, what does a key grip do? Set up lights. What does the best boy do? Help the key grip. What does a producer do? I don't know. Stop asking me the question. Do you all hang out together? No, we don't. How's Crispin Glover? Never talk to him. Back to the future for not happening. Stop asking me the question. Hey, who's the nicest famous guy you know? Adam Sandler. Who is the biggest jerk? Gary Busey. How much money do you make more than you do? So stop asking me the question. Thanks a lot, everybody. Stop asking me the questions. I oh, know, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> really funny, that song. But I, I love... Uh, it's, it's got a real nice flow to it as well. Um, but yeah, so um, Biff's now out for blood. It cost $300 in 1955 money to fix his car. Uh, he's been embarrassed in public. So Marty has got someone wanting to beat him up. Someone wants to fake beat him up. And he's got to try and avoid his mum actually jumping him. <laughs> It's really cool. Yeah, so it's um, it takes a while. Kind of, you can imagine Marty thinking this plan's not going to going, going well, is it? <laughs> I, I love it when when she he says yeah, and he's just like huh? it's just like totally not what he's expecting when he asks if she wants to part. I mean, at first she's like drinking and then she's smoking, like from mom. And I, and I just <laughs> love the fact that he gets again. He's he's great at varying within sentences, even. It, we said about it earlier where he says that's how t- what makes time travel possible and he's losing heart through saying it. Yeah. He can spin on a dime within a sentence. Uh, it, it, it's the fact where he says um, you can tell the guy thinking, the, the character thinking, because, I mean, he says to her, <coughs> you shouldn't drink. And it's like, and, and it, he then has to follow it up with because you may regret it later in life. <laughs> and as he starts saying that, you can almost see the character thinking, Christ, this sounds really fucking lame. And he goes, and as he says it, it just comes out as, oh, I'm so sorry, I've just said that. It's really great. Jesus, you smoke too? <laughs> He's really shocked by it all. I spit it on dashboard. Um, and then, yeah, she always feels like kissing my brother. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she basically does jump him in the end where he says, do you, do you, do you ever find yourself in a situation where you've got to act a certain way and you're not sure if you can go through with it. And it's basically because he, he realises that in a minute, he's got to create a commotion that makes sense when, like, George opens the car and pulls him out and beats him up. Mm. Fake beats him up. And, of course, she takes it as a cue to, like, come on to him. She kisses him. He freezes entirely. And this was in response to them not knowing how to get Marty out of this. That line, it's like kissing my brother took several passes at the script for them to come to and then they were like perfect that completely takes the steam out of it she's no longer attracted to him he's not he's not going to be forced to make a difficult choice yeah which is which it, it makes sense as well almost it's like you can kind of go okay well almost like genetically you know? yeah or, yeah almost like sort of like sensing it almost so I have to say though if my mother looked like that I'd be confused <laughs> Um, I know yeah. it will be the most like <laughs> confused like, boner ever, wouldn't it? It'll be like, <laughs> <laughs> just, what do I do with this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and when, yeah, the door opens, and, and again, just so much thought's gone into every scene. He, he, Marty he it's going to be. Um, got, he's got George. a real resigned look to him, like, here we go then. And he's hauled out the car, and it's Biff. And Thomas F. Wilson is fucking scary here. Terrifying. Becca's yeah. catchphrase there. Terrifying. I know. I really want to have like a sting for that. <laughs> I thought da, 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 da. like um. I thought Becca's catchphrase da, da, was like. Da, 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 da. Yeah, that one. <laughs> So he's basically taken and thrown in the back of a car that happens to have an open boot, and it's the band's bar, a band's car. They're sat in it um, having a little bit of a puff, which is quite funny because he says, I don't want any I don't want any trouble with some... Uh, this don't concern you spook, which is a racial um, epithet. And then he says, I don't want any trouble with any reefer addicts. And I just love that we're in an era where, like, anti-drug propaganda made everyone think marijuana was like addictive and would like mess you up and stuff um and it's now biff in the car with her when george strolls up (laughs) ready to do his little part and just because because he's such an a deliberately awkward actor and really mannered and it's just brilliant comedically it's brilliant this guy walking up going right here we go and when he opens the car door it's biff (laughs) I'm because of the size of it. I don't know how tall the, he really is, but he always Thomas F. Wilson. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know if there was talk of a recast. Um, uh, I, obviously, he wouldn't have been as much uh, as as much taller as uh, than um, uh, Eric Stoltz, of course. I'm just looking him up to see if I can. It's really weird looking at him now. He's six foot two and a half. Oh, because that's reasonably tall, isn't it? That's quite... Well, it's reasonably... It's not a giant, but it's tall, and it's tall again. It's tall in 1955, if you think, because average heights would have been a bit less. And we're talking about a 1955 character. But also, it's tall against a five-foot-five actor. He's nine and a half inches taller than him. That's significant. Yeah. Well, um, which one? Michael J. Fox? Oh, uh, Michael J. Fox, I am. Yeah, I am aware. I, I I was talking about Crispin Glover before that. I'm just looking up Crispin to see how tall he is. I didn't. It's difficult to tell with Crispin Glover because he's quite slight. Mm. So the natural thought is to think he's quite tall, but he may not be. He's five foot ten, so not wildly tall. I mean, in Hollywood terms, fairly, but yeah, five ten, not a giant. Yeah, so he's yeah, so Biff's still taller, but you, you, you always seem to shoot him as kind of odd seems like towering over everyone, um, which is always in that sort of cartoon kind of way, like you know, you always seem like Looney Tunes and things like that. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think I think this is probably like if I had to put money on like everyone's favorite scene about the future, it'd probably be this. I don't know. Do you know, for, for all the love I've got of this film, I don't think I've ever even really thought about that. I've never been asked the question, so I don't know. I don't think I've oh, ever I, thought about it. I guess maybe maybe the you know the dance with the guitar and things like that, maybe. Um, <clears throat> the, 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 I mean, yeah, when we get to the dance in a minute, there's um, a couple of bits of that. that yeah, I mean, my mother almost collapsed laughing at that scene. We'll come to it later. Yeah. But, um, 
it's it just great storytelling because you've got um, Biff's in the car, George is there, George is, is now effectively grabbed by the arm and uh, is in danger of having it broken. Lorraine's terrified for him. And the other thing is, they've got to break Marty out of that car. The people breaking him out are the band, and they hurt their hand getting him out. Mm. And the cars of that era do look pretty solid, so that's quite realistic. It, it's almost like all the keys are in the boot as well. <laughs> yeah, it's Marvin Berry as well. Chuck Berry's um, cousin, I think. Chuck Berry's cousin, mm. I think. And, so that leads to the how it's invented rock and roll. So now somebody's got to play guitar for them. Uh, Biff's got a decision to make. As Actually, well. that is probably one of my favourite scenes because of the Family Guy parody. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll get to that because there's a bit of it like like about that. Yeah, you have to tell me about it because I'm not sure I've seen the episode. Although it might ring a bell when you tell me. Uh, uh, so yeah, so basically Marty dashes out because he's because he you know Biff's in the car. And but I love the fact that I don't know that there's ever been a better actor at playing panic. Not not fear, I mean comedic panic, than Michael J. Fox. Because he gets out of the car and it's like, if they can't play, they can't kiss. And if they can't kiss, they don't fall in love and I'm history. And you just think, like, that can only ever come out in panic. Because if you calmly said that to someone, they'd be, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, yeah they'd be like, what the bloody hell? That sounds crazy. But that's already been set up as well. Not that specific bit of conversation, but we've seen Marty panicking and, and you know, <clears throat> not necessarily explaining himself properly early on. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, so then we sort of cut between that and what's happening with the car and this manhandling, really manhandling, like pretty much on the verge of rape. And, um, and then George comes and does his thing. And um, I love the way that shot. Yeah, because it plays up the otherworldliness of George a little bit. You can see why he was a bit of a strange fish in school, because uh, he looks odd. They use almost like a fish eye camera sort of thing on him as he's as he's looking around and balling his fist up. You, they're putting some kind of weird echo on Thomas F. Wilson's laughing. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of I wouldn't say it's scary. Becca would say it's terrifying, obviously. Um, terrifying. Terrifying. Um, but it well, well, he very viciously pushes pushes her down on a bum. You, you, I, I do always wonder, like, you think there would have been like, a, like a so in some scripts where he actually did hit her. Possibly. Because I keep Possibly. expecting that. That wouldn't take long to cut out, though. I mean, he sort of does in the second one, doesn't he? Mm. In alternate eighty-five. But yeah, George. George really. What I love about that as well is it's a nice shorthand for George is really keen on her. Now you would defend a woman anyway, but the, his reaction is to her being pushed to the floor. He doesn't care about himself. So many ways you can read that. Actually, he doesn't care about himself. It's only when somebody else is threatened he yeah. acts. But it's also that it's her. I think what adds to it as well that um, he's actually laughing. He pushes down the floor and he's like laughing. He's had enough now of being laughed at and all. But he's he's laughing at Lorraine. Yes, but both, both, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it just ends and the music builds or the the, the music builds up on it. The fist clenches. Yeah, the fist clenches and he knocks him out, which I love. Yeah, the 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 timing of it as well. You see it and then my and literally just sort of and then literally just just as that happens Marty sort of like comes in just just see it himself and then me and yeah because he's just got out of the car and it's just and you know i think it's that moment 
for me, he really... races back to see that. Then he goes back to say, "You've got to play." But yeah, he sees it just in time. It's great. And yeah, I think it's just that that sort of, you know, it's that time when his dad came through for him. It would have been like everything would have been lost had 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 it, he, George done the thing that he normally would have done. The other thing is, all the way through the film, we do get occasional looks at that picture. They're fading. Mar- Marty mm. is quite close to his own life force starting to fade out. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of like your um, your timer, really, isn't it? That's kind of like the, the race against time element, literally. Yeah. Um, countdown to disaster. So he goes back to beg them to play, and then the next thing you see is on stage playing very <laughs> stiffly himself, which, again, <laughs> is just wonderful move of Michael J. Fox. He's brilliant, isn't he? But of course they um, they're singing Earth Angel, which um, wasn't wasn't the Super same. Free. Sing- well, yes, but also um, it's they're playing the song, but it's also scored orchestrally by mm. Alan Silvestri as well. Mm. So you've got it building up to them kissing as well. So when he sings "Love Is Out of Your Happiness" and all that bit, it builds it builds up, and when you hear it on the sequel, that build up isn't there, so it doesn't sound right. I'm so used to hearing it with the orchestration on it as well. Yeah. But the bit where they kiss, uh, the bloke cuts in, and Marty's fading out. He's literally fading. You can see through his own hand. Yeah. Like, um, and then George actually was walking away, but he obviously changes his mind, comes back, pushes the guy out of the way, leans in, and kisses her. One of the most annoying ginger ginger guys ever. As I well. know. Oh, ginger, that's so annoying. Ginger bastard. Do you think? Um, do you think that guy like gets one of gay gingers a bad name? I, I uh, probably. It's all started in 1955. I certainly, <laughs> I would, I would not have pointed out his gingerness, and that is not the policy of do you expect us to talk to do so? Chris no. Speaking for himself, <laughs> no, it's not. But no, but it's a very common night thing where people mock gingers to join in with ginger bastard just for comedy effect. <laughs> Bastard. Oh my God. Yeah, so he kisses her, and the bit where Marty springs up is fantastic. And mom, I thought my mum was going to hurt herself laughing at that the first time we saw it. Because I was only about, I don't know, I must have been about 11, something like that. And the way she laughed when he sprung up was brilliant. <laughs> so so after Mark McFly nearly dies, does the whole shuffling in the corner, watch his hand fade away. Yeah, um, and bounces back up hilariously. But also, actually, the way the music swells is so, yeah, it's almost just been given like he's dragging, like <laughs> yeah. But it, but he's not controlling himself either. It's great. It's wonderful. It's really well done. Mm. Um, and this is the only bit coming up that does involve uh, doesn't um, really advance plot or character particularly. I mean, Although, I, theoretically, he does invent rock and roll. I, I could say that one of, one of the faults, and it is a minor fault of this film. Um, is that it? Just it, you know, the whole kissing um, bit and the, the dance is a kind of like a repeat of what we've just seen to a, to a, to an extent, you know. What, in other words, George having to make the decision to step in to kiss her is it, how is that different from him taking the decision to knock Biff out? Is that what you mean? Yeah, similar sort. Of. In some respect, he almost could have kissed her after. It wouldn't have worked for the film. Yeah, but theoretically, he could have lent in and kissed her after knocking Biff out, and it would have all been in one. Revelatory moment. Yeah, I yeah, I think for the, for the film itself, it just feels like you, you you're adding another thing into for the sake of it. Uh, that's my only minor criticism. I say minor because yeah. I am nitpicking. Yeah. I because mean, I I get it, but yeah, you'd have had to retool the third act a fair bit to avoid it actually. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's only because that extra stipulation that the fact that they kiss at the dance 
Now, they must have been very impressed by Marty's last 20 seconds of that song because they're desperate for him to do another song, whereas for, like, the middle minute of that song, he was making weird twanging noises and looking like he was about to pass out. He was, like, curled up in the corner, not playing at all. I know, but, and then he went, I can't play. But 20 seconds of competency, and they've gone, let's do another one! <laughs> yeah, how about you sing on, the, sing on this? Um, yeah, and I love the fact he goes, this is an oldie, um... Uh, well, <laughs> uh, and then he tells them, and what I love is that they, they, yeah, he just tells them what like key it's in and they're away. Perfect. Um, That's yeah, he, plays for, Johnny, he, plays, he plays Johnny be good, which is pretty cool. It's all right. Um, uh, the dancing's, you know, it's all very cool. I kind of like this. Yeah. I mean, look, even if you think it's a bit cheesy, I think the film's like, earn the right at this point. And also, you do need to take a breath between what we've just seen and the um, conclusion of Marty's. Yes, arc. yes. You, if you'd gone straight from that to, right, I'm jumping in with DeLorean, it would be, oh, <laughs> it eats that break. So you don't need it, but you kind of do need it. And it was one of those things they did nearly cut. And, and yet it's quite an iconic part of the <laughs> film. So I'm glad it's here. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for for its fault, I mean, I always think of what um, Doc says later on uh, when he realises he didn't tear up the note. Um, that's another thing we, we didn't talk about was the fact that Doc actually watching a video. Um, like I saying, saying, like, they found I me. I don't know how, but he's found me. And you don't actually get any, um, no real comments made about that going forward, but... A few times during the film, Marty tries to tell him, and he won't have it. You mustn't know mm. too much about your own future. No. The way that uh, eventually it ends up with him sat in a diner just before the before the dance, writing it to him in a letter. At that, and he slides it into the into a pocket of the thing covering the DeLorean, and then it's forgotten about until right near the end. Um, yeah, so the thing, thing like, the late one where he goes, "What the hell?" That's kind of how I feel. You just got to go, "Ah, what the hell?" Um, and yeah, so we get that whole scene where, uh, where I think Becca says, "Well, the, the Family Guy episode." So it's the episode where they go back to the eighties. I don't think I've seen it. And Brian, it's basically Brian, and he does um, never going to give you up on the the key keyboard. Oh, hang guitar. on, that rings a bell. That rings a bell. I might yeah. have seen it. I might have seen that bit. The, anyway. the, the sole reason why I love that parody so much is is the reaction how, ev- like like in Back to the Future, everyone's fucking loving Johnny B. Good, and then it's only it's, it. it's yeah, only when he gets like a bit in, in dances. Yeah, it's really yeah. You know. when, he, when he gets yeah. a bit out of it, you all like kind of like sad, they're shocked, and it's just the reaction in Family Guy. You see this one voice from the crowd going, "I wasn't enjoying that at all." So that's a bit always makes me laugh. Uh, which bit? Well, and then yeah, we get Marcy dashing to uh, the town square. He's late as well, uh, <laughs> which is a theme a theme through the film anyway. But it's uh, exacerbated by the fact that um, he, he had to stay to do another song. Basically, that's what's caused this. Yeah, um, and it's like it, it kind of no time to sort of set everything up because the. The the wind sort of breaks the uh, the cable, and I love I, I love the sequence. It just it's so tense and so t- like it's timed almost to perfection. 
and it also homages one of the uh, great uh, scenes of early cinema. Mm. Harold Lloyd hanging off the hands of the clock in a in a film called Safety Last. Um, Yeah, Christopher uh, Lloyd hanging off a. Facebook yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's basically yeah, that's basically homage in that. That's where they got the idea from, anyway. And that's very clever. It's a really, uh, you know, unless you're not familiar with the history of mm. cinema, you very few will get that callback. And and also just the, the bit before and it's, when it's, it just just to interject, just to say, it doesn't matter if you don't get it either. It's just no, added it flavour if you do. Yeah, it's um, the, the, also the the bit where like he. When when they say when they say goodbye when he's when he's getting the car there is a, there's a, the element of like well, almost like suddenly knows like no you're not going to be there <laughs> you it's know, like, beautifully it's beautifully acted for a yeah. film that's comedy you know whenever I've seen other time travel films and I, I mentioned it earlier uh, Hot Tub Time Machine which no one's pretending is in the same league and it's not to its detriment that it isn't but you don't get this range of flavour you know you don't get you know they do the funny bits okay and this film does the funny bits okay but it's got real heart as well and that's what you know likens it to it's a wonderful life you've seen an alternative world which we'll see even more of in two but it's got a real heart in it and and almost you know uh, almost like a nostalgia within the film for wanting things back as they were so yeah they, they have a hug he rips up the note he, he sort of tells him off again it's one of his strong rules so obviously this is like you imagine like Michael J. Fox just or Marty just sort of being like fuck oh there's no time ah oh, for fuck's sake and also you know like he has to he has to go and so like a little bit upset about you know emotions are running high at the moment so uh, and meanwhile but again they 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 are up against and and it's a very clever thing to be able to do within a time travel story mm. because I mean Terminator Genesis fucked this up. In the in Terminator Genesis, and I'm presuming we'll cover the Terminator films one day, but you, you've got you know we must get to the future as soon as possible, and it's like that makes no sense on so many levels. So it's very difficult to have a ticking clock in a time travel film, and they've managed it here perfectly. Oh yeah, because that's because it only be at one point when they can actually do it. Yeah, yeah. So um, because yeah. of the lightning. Yes, yeah. It's, it's a smart plot device. Um, so yeah, the, the the you know Marty's actually sort of just left to kind of stay in the car and accelerate at a certain point, and, yeah. and you and you left to Christopher Lloyd basically doing the the main heroics uh, when it comes to like sort of sliding down a, a rope and just getting to like the pl- the plug the wire and just in time. Yeah, um, which it's, I think it's is just the bit, it's the bit where he pulls time. on it and it pulls out and he looks down and notices the other end's gone. It's the bit where he just goes. <laughs> <laughs> does that earlier when the when when uh, he's showing it him how it's going to work on the model and the bin catches fire? Yeah, that's really funny as well. His reaction damn. there. <gasps> damn, damn, damn. <laughs> it's like Becker's reaction when you say you don't like something. <gasps> but yeah, that that's all of the plot from now on, really, isn't it? That it's basically Doc trying to get all that done in time. It is done in time. He does catch the. Um, he catches the cable that's sort of stretched across the sort of road and he's got to hit it. Yeah. And he's transported back to the time and he drives into the cinema where the gremlins are watching that film. <laughs> is it the same one? Yeah, the gremlins is shot on the universal backlot as well. So if you see the opening credits of gremlins, 
you're looking down at the square of Hill Valley, but with a matte painting over the top of it to make it look slightly different. Uh, but they go to the cinema at one point, and it's that cinema that's at the end of that road in, in this film, yeah. And then he bumps into a tramp. Uh, the car won't start again. He and bumps then, into red. This is um, <laughs> uh, California raisins paid for a product placement, and it's it's basically the bench with the bum laying on. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, and then you see the delivery terrorist sort of drive past him. Yeah, he does actually say he has said it back 10 minutes before, actually, just before he set off. Yeah, uh, because he was so upset he couldn't get to talk to Doc. But he, but, but the car breaks down again because the car's been breaking down all the way through again. Everything in this film is trailed perfectly, um, and he gets to Lone Pine Mall as it now ends. But again, if you don't notice that, you don't miss anything. It's now Lone Pine Mall, uh, and he gets there just as Doc is shot, and he actually watches himself go back mm. and see the Libyan Terrace just crash into something. And um, yeah, which always make, always makes me sort of a little bit like, wouldn't you be a little bit concerned about the two actual armed terrorists? Just yeah, because that didn't look like the... it would kill. It didn't. I mean, you could get injured, but I, it didn't strike me as something that would kill anyone, except for some sort of very freak contact. Yeah, I mean, usually in movie law, you have to the the vehicle has to explode for you to assume everyone's dead. <laughs> yeah, rest of the time they just get out and sort of shake their head a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no. So, so <laughs> Marty Mar- Mar- runs uh, run to Doc and goes, "No, Doc, no! Oh, bollocks!" <laughs> yeah, and then he just magically gets up. And he's wearing a bulletproof vest. And one of my thoughts is like, "What if they shot you in the face?" Yeah, yeah <laughs> which, which is dumb, which is dumb and dumb and crow, really. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, it sort of turned out that he. He put the letter back together again because he thought, "Fuck it." Well, at that point, there comes a point where if you're warning somebody all week that you shouldn't be knowing these things, mm. and they're still desperate to tell you and agitated about it, you can imagine that eventually you might think, "Now nah, I've got. There's got to be something here I need to know." I, I, well, I, there was a little bit of, I've noticed. There was like um, something that. Dot point out before he went back back into the eighties, he he sort of he mentioned something about like oh yeah he picked on the fact that um that something something was slightly different he was like oh never mind <laughs> yeah it was the fact that uh, he laid he, he's telling him that he laid Biff right out mm. and he said he's never stood up to Biff like that and Dot goes never. And then it's like, Marty says, yeah, why? And it's like, uh, uh, nothing. And it's just like, we can't go into it now. Doc is clearly realising Marty might go back to a slightly different man now. Yeah. That's the implication. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's like he, he changed future, but it's too late now. We can't. But again, set up and pay off, because yeah. it's paid off in a minute at that point. But again, if you don't notice it, you don't notice it. Uh, yeah, and, and also at the dance, where, you know, he gets one, he's kind of come almost like popular now, because it's like, oh, he's punched out the... The biggest dick in high school. You should run for class president. Yeah. Yeah, he's Mr. Popular now. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Mar- soon we go from Doc. Marty, Marty, Marty's taken home by Doc. Yeah. Uh, to his home. He was, he's given a, a lift home. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not, not, not to his home, because that's not, where he not, fucked him. Not, let's go home and celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, they've cheated death, so they're going to celebrate with their penises. <laughs> um, 
That's not what I meant. Dark, I never, I never believed those rumours about you be, uh, <laughs> being a pedophile. Those weren't rumours, Marty. Anyway, uh, Marty goes to bed. The other thing is he's dropped home so late because this all happened at like 1.30 in the morning or so. So by the time he's dropped off, Marty hasn't got time to see anything of the house. Yeah. He sees his room, that's it. And then he wakes up and then uh, something's a little bit different. His brother and sister are wearing smart clothes. They've got soft furnishings. Yes. Hang on, we need a woman to give its furniture. Becca thoughts. Soft furnishings. There you go. <laughs> That's the hard opinion from Andrews. Andrews soft furnishings. Furnishing corner. And uh, so <laughs> it's established that. Why are you in a suit? I always wear a suit to the office. Yeah, so what do we see immediately? The house is nicer. Mm-hmm. Very 80s. I mean, it is, but it's it's nicer. It's more homely. Very dark at the start of the film, isn't it? I know it's daytime now, and that was night, but it it was all very cheap and mismatched and tacky for what we saw of it in the first film, in the first part mm-hmm. of the film. So it's now all color coordinated, quite smart. Dave is uh, Dave and Linda are having breakfast. They're both dressed smartly. Dave is in a suit, in, um, and he's going to the office. Um, Isn't it a Saturday uh, though? That's what I'm confused. Like, shh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, break, he breaks. He hasn't actually got a job. He just breaks into one at the weekend. <laughs> look, look, try just to look busy. Linda, having at the start of the film, saying, "How am I ever supposed to meet anyone?" is taking numerous calls from blokes. Greg or Cause, Craig? Because she's a looker. Um. Well, she's confident now. Yeah, I guess. Stuff. So there, we've not seen the guys that could be right mufter there. Mufters? That's a word I've not heard before. What does that mean? I think Chris has just made up a word there. So you got Ming as if it's a woman who's ugly, but an ugly man is now. It's now I've never heard of that um, curriculum before. That's because we've just made it up. Well, <laughs> I figured, well, you know. You know, Women go to a bar, they order themselves a whacked <laughs> off knot finger and try and meet a mufter. <laughs> or is that just locally to Manchester? No, no, definitely not. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah. So, <laughs> and, uh, so and there's one guy come back and, and they're just from playing tennis. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, as well, that this is one of the things they kept falling out with George Mc- or not George McFly, Crispin Glover. Crispin argued uh, tooth and nail not to wear this. He wanted to, he wanted his look to be totally different and his hair straight up and to be wearing a vest and you know, really strange guy. Um, but yeah, he's um, they're both aging a lot better. She is noticeably slimmer with better skin, albeit it's prosthetics. Mm-hmm. They're active and they do things together. And again, set up payoff earlier in the film. What do your parents like to do together? Nothing. At this point, now they're out and about. Now, we will have problems when we get to sequels because in the early 70s, he was a famous author in the sequels. And here in 1985, his first book is being published. Uh, we find out he's now going up to the Oh, yeah, because he never liked anyone his stories and he didn't like anyone to read his stories in case anyone yeah, didn't like it. now he's gone for it and he's been published I'm assuming he's done better professionally in this so his money yeah. I always thought how did he make money as an author and how was he famous well that is a fault in the sequels but here no one's saying he's got greater wealth particularly but he's doing better at work he's got a BMW 
Uh, Marty still thinks the car's been totaled, but it's outside and it's a BMW and Biff is uh, polishing it. Mm. <laughs> Biff, completely uh, different. I mean the car. I don't mean he sat out the. I don't. I didn't mean that as a euphemism. Biff's not outside. I'm awake. <laughs> but Biff is like literally got like completely just like. <laughs> still looks like Donald Trump, but is very. Um, he's nervous. in a velvet. He's in a velvet uh, tracksuit, uh, and he's just. He's just happy to be here. He's, he's Mr. Friendly. He's like, yeah. you know, he's, like, he's, there, cool. he's there he's doing favours for George still, now. Yeah, he's still got aggression, but he's frightened of George, and he's he, but he's basically the book flies bitch now. Yeah. And he comes in a bit later going, um, your first book's been published. Oh, hey, Marty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's basically based on the whole business of Marty being an alien and that it even is an image of him on the front looks like him on the back George looks totally different but that was an earlier makeup test oh, right. but, yeah he was meant to look different in this uh, and that's it isn't it uh, other than he, he oh, goes yeah, he meets he goes, Jennifer again he's told to go outside uh, stuff in, the in car because Marty still he's thinks been, he's been bought the 4x4 four four. yeah um, and while he's celebrating that it's how about a ride mister you bet your ass, he says, or something like that. Because we're going to a camp where we, where we will fuck. We're going to fuck all night. <laughs> uh, but just then, the DeLorean arrives. Yeah. Um, Doc comes up, comes by all um, in strange clothes. He's wearing... He's wearing a see-through tie. Bright red and bright yellow with a see-through tie and basically what looks like aluminium on his face. In reality, the actor couldn't see through that at all, but it's meant to be like sunglasses. Um, and we find out in the second one they're high-tech as well because he, he's got his like heads-up display and all the rest of it on it. We'll get to that next and, week. And yeah, but, and uh, something's got to be done about your kids. Yeah. Uh, and then they set off and where we're going, we don't need roads and the DeLorean can now fly. It doesn't need um, plutonium anymore. It can run on trash, which is effectively a coffee maker that they put mm-hmm. it on the, as a prop on there. Uh, and that was only ever meant to be a joke. That was it in credits, but that was only ever meant to be a joke. There was never a sequel in mind. No. I mean, to me, that, that works as an ending. I, I, I like yeah. that. I mean, it, yeah. I like that as a one-off. And off they go to their other, for more adventures, and that's it. Yeah. It's more of a what, what ending, really. It's kind of like, which I like. Um, I, I've got mixed feelings, because I, I like plenty about the sequels, and I find the second one absolutely fascinating. But at the same time, there is a small part of me that wishes this was the only one. Yeah. Yeah, same here as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I, you know, you know. If it was just a one-off, it would be perfect, wouldn't it? But I, mean, I, I didn't see that the sequels spoil it as such, because they, kind of, they add more to the mythos and to the, um, to the world. But they're the way film. more cartoonish than this. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I'll, I'll go first on final thoughts um, I, I don't have a lot to add because I've done the, obviously probably the bulk of the talking through this and I've said quite a lot as we go through it the, the script is as tight as any script I've ever seen uh, the acting is all pitch perfect um, so many of the visuals in it are iconic I think this is the best film of the 1980s and that's all I'm going to say and not, not so much more than that no I'm kidding yeah um, not Die Hard not Octopussy not Superman not doesn't it? Um, <laughs> a view to a kill? Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. Uh, no. Uh, wanker, Wanker, Pink. Wanker. No. 
uh, Breakfast Club, not Sixteen Candles. Not, you you know. don't have to name now. Name every film of the nineteen eighties. Et Top Gun. Not. <sighs> There's plenty of great films. Et is a great film, and I, I'm not arguing. The Raiders. Any. Not. You know. Well, the problem is, how can you name Raiders the best film of the eighties when, yes, it might be the best of the four, um, but I actually prefer the third one without necessarily thinking it's a better film. Um, you know, if if there was a if there was a sequel to this that I didn't think was as good but liked it more, I wouldn't be calling this the best film of the eighties. No, I mean it's very subjective, isn't it? To each their own, really. Of course, um, but I mean, I've never, I've, I don't think I've, I've encountered a better script than this. No. And I, I would <clears throat> say it's, it's certainly one of the best films we've ever covered. Mm, certainly. Final thought. Okay, I'll, I'll go next. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm, 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 I'm with Dave. It's one of my favourite films. It's something kind of magical. It's, it's, it's not perfect. It's not an ounce of fat. And I, I, I think. I think when it when it comes to film criticism, not enough gets talked about sometimes when a film is so lean, like it doesn't waste it. You know, it's got a really nice ninety minute or under two hours running time, and it just flows and has every scene means something. And I don't think that really gets talked about enough. Uh, we hear we hear a lot of stuff about being baggy and over long, but when a I film... think it's one of the tragedies, Chris, when when directors get more successful because James Cameron when you go back to like the Terminator perfect lean film and now his films are getting longer and longer and longer and with the exception of Dunkirk it's been happening to Nolan for years as well you're absolutely right there's not enough and now that's not to say a film like Justice League comes out and I think it's too short you know it is horses for courses but it's not how long the film is it's how it uses its running time and and this film is exactly the length it needs to be almost to the second yeah yeah i yeah i can't really fault it at all really i think the performances are great um it, it's got a really good heart to it it's funny it's universal like it's so easy to watch like i sh- I, I i showed this to uh my my niece and my nephews uh, just out of like, just to kind of like, just to see out if they liked it or not, and yeah, they and they really enjoyed it. In fact, <clears throat> in fact, I saw, sort of, I'd because uh, I bought the Blu-ray and I was like, I had wanted to get rid of the DVD, so I figured, well, if they like the first one, I'll just give them the DVD box that they can just have. Um, so I just gave it to them because <laughs> so, they like the first one so much. So um, yeah, I think I think it's great. I think it's a, it is a a classic in all manner of respects. Um, I think it's it's held up now today. And I think it will stand the test of time eat quite easily. I think it has done already. Before we are out of time, um, yeah, I can't really add. I can't really add much more to what's said already. Yeah, so you know, definitely one of the top films of, of the eighties, and really one of the top films of all time. Um, this, is, as this film has everything: like action, comedy, suspense, thrills, laughs. It's just it's perfect. As I say, yeah, it's, it's kind of a little hour and a half, two hours, but none of that is wasted at all. Um, it zips along at a brilliant pace, um, and it's it's so iconic and so far-reaching and so um, influential. Um, not just in terms of like the Spielberg's reach um, upon you know sort of like comedy, action, thriller, sci-fi, time travel, just any kind of genre of cinema really. Um, and it's been endlessly parodied and ruled, and you know just loved by you know. Filmmakers the world over. Stephen Family could do the thing as well with the ending of it. So something's got to be done about your kids. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Family Guy had a go. Simpsons had a go. I mean, you can watch it. Every week, we're looking at. 
Um, well, Re- Reagan used um, where we're going, we don't need roads in the state Exactly, it, exactly. <laughs> even American presidents have you know, been influenced by it, and, and likewise as well, as we've seen with Biff and Uncanny Trump um, impressions, as we've seen go on, and as we'll see next week as well. Um, yeah, it's just one of my all-time favourite movies, definitely. I don't know much about it, though. Which is bollocks, I know loads about it, but <laughs> I've, I've got a queue in fun facts. Becca? Fun facts, fun fact number one, uh, a lot of these we've already touched upon. Um, yeah, Michael J. Fox and Bruce McGlover are actually nearly the same age, despite playing father and son. I think it's like four or five years between them. Yeah, but to be fair, like the bit when he actually is older is there's prosthetic work, and, and they're supposed to be like the same age anyway when they go back. Exactly. Yeah, I just, I just think I always find it a bit funny, but obviously, he you know with his good, useful genes, he always looks good. Um, yeah, fun fact number two: Lorraine was named for Roy Scheider's wife in Jaws. Um, yeah. fact number three. Hang on, just to explain that one, they didn't go. Let's name her after. Oh no 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 no. Uh, Lorraine Gary's in Jaws. Um, no. What it is is Sid Sheinberg wanted changes including spaceman from pluto and you know the whole thing of you know <laughs> the whole thing about the chimp and all the rest of it um he wanted to change the character to lorraine uh because his wife was lorraine gary and we know lorraine gary as roy scheider as the character who plays the actress who played roy scheider's wife so you know lorraine gary as roy scheider really in the joys in the in the jaws films in the joys of jaws um Fun fact number three, according to Bob Gale... That would be a, a shark sex manual. The joy of <laughs> Go on. With our model, Ken Ford. Yeah, Ken Ford there. Sorry. <laughs> Harry Hill reference. Yeah, I got the reference. Um, fun fact number three, according to Bob Gale, Johnny Depp auditioned for the role of Marty, but apparently he didn't create a very memorable impression. Um, fun fact number four, Lee Thompson... I can't imagine Johnny three. Depp doing that. Just be no, like, I can't either. It would just be oh, well, dark. Uh, it would be, uh, just be like or, too sort of like drawly and yeah. Or um, Keith, what's his face? Pirates. Yeah, yeah that's one. <laughs> Keith Lemon. No. Go on. Fun fact number four: Lee Thompson spent three hours in makeup um, to look forty-seven as Mrs. McFly. Um, fun fact number five: um, as of June two thousand and eight. Um, this film ranks number 10 in the AFI American Film Institute's top 10 sci-fi movies alright so we're underway with the new series social media folks uh, you can find me at Simmontrox on Twitter uh, it's it, my website is uk, where you find this lovely podcast um, and not much else all, all, <laughs> of the other, all of the other prolific output yeah no uh, I'll probably end up like but basically if you want to hear Chris on another show but this go to the Cinematronics website have a quick look at that and then download Smorgasbord from or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you can download the last episode where me and Dave ended up talking about movies yeah you can find me at the Plastic Kid 1976 on Twitter you can follow us on Twitter at the Expect Us to Talk on Facebook.com slash Expect Us to Talk. You can also find us on on YouTube if you search for Do You Expect Us to Talk? And you can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher on iTunes if you search Do You Expect Us to Talk? And give us a five star glowing review. Thank you very much. A glowing view. Saying we is amazing. Evil. Not a bright or little view, just glowing would be fine. It's glowing. Warm glowing, hopefully. I mean, gushing if, if you know if you're really going to push the boat out. <laughs> <laughs>
Squirting. Pardon? Squirting. <laughs> squirting or gushing. We're, we're fine with both. And ejaculating if you are. I wasn't quite sure then. Ejaculating. Squirt out. Squirt. However you, yeah, however you want to uh, phrase your review. I'm just ensure generally that it is overall positive. Mm. Okay, well, <laughs> despite our strange recording schedule, our, our next show is Becca. Do you expect to talk or return with Back to the Future Part 2? <laughs>